Recording in progress.
Good morning, everyone. What a happy crowd we have here. All right. I'd like to call to order the Marin County Board of Supervisors meeting of December 12th, 2023. I'm going to ask the clerk to take the roll and tell us how to participate remotely. Thank you. Supervisor Rice? Here. Supervisor Lucan? Here. Supervisor Sackey? Here. Supervisor Radoni? Here. Supervisor Moulton Peters? Here. If you are joining us today on Zoom and would like to participate, please use the raise hand icon located on your screen. If you are participating by landline, please press star 9 to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, your name will be called and you will be asked to unmute your device. If you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to President Moulton Peters. Thank you. We have the pleasure of starting this morning's meeting honoring a very special person, Director Benita McLaren, Health and Human Services, who is retiring from public service after 43 years of exemplary public service. We have a little resolution that we'd like to start with. Then we're going to hear from elected officials in our different offices. Then Benita will have a chance to comment, followed by her Health and Human Services Executive Team will have public comment, and then the Board of Supervisors will get one more opportunity to thank you. So with that, I want to start with the resolution, and we're going to share it up on the dais as we have come to do. So I have the first paragraph and some intervening paragraphs, and here we go. Whereas the Board of Supervisors wishes to recognize and honor Dr. Bedina McLaren, Ph.D., S.M., M.H.A., A.B., A.F.A.C.H.E., <laughs> who, who has served as Marin County Director of Health and Human Services since 2019, and whereas Dr. Benita McLaren began her government career in 1980 as a private in the United States Army Reserve and completed over 25 years in her military medical career, which included several overseas assignments to Germany and Korea, deployments to Honduras, Bosnia, and Saudi Arabia for the first Gulf War. Dr. McLaren completed the Army's Command and General Staff College and Air War College. Dr. McLaren is a combat veteran. Her last role with the United States Army Medical Service Corps was as Battalion Commander for the 168th Medical Battalion Area Support in Daegu, Korea. Dr. McLaren retired from active duty as a Lieutenant Colonel in 2006. And? Whereas... Dr. Benita McLaren was elected Director of Health and Human Services for the County of Marin in 2019 and immediately responded to power shutoffs, fire events, neighboring county evacuations, and a historic coronavirus disease pandemic. Dr. McLaren successfully led the department leaders and staff to an overall successful response to the pandemic, including superb social services support exceptional behavior, behavior health and recovery services, expanded homelessness services, and a nationally recognized public health response, including equity-focused testing access and vaccine distribution resulting in the county having the highest number of residents vaccinated, the lowest number of, of coronavirus disease cases in the state of California. Dr. McLaren led the implementation of the department's first strategic plan to achieve health and wellness equity, leading with race equity, and 
Whereas Dr. Bonita McLaren has extensive education and training, we'll define all those letters we heard earlier, receiving a Doctor of Philosophy in Health Services Leadership from Walden University, a Master's of Science in Health Policy and Management from Harvard University School of Public Health, a Master's of Health Administration from Chapman University, and a Bachelor of Arts with a major in Psychology and a minor in Women's Studies from Washington University. And whereas Dr. Benita McLaren has worked tirelessly to ensure the health and well-being of the safety net population in Marin County and throughout the Bay Area, she is well known for being a positive communicator, an excellent collaborator, and a compassionate and caring and kind leader. And? And I'm going to add that Dr. McLaren uh, has served in so many Northern California counties, and I want to direct everyone to read the full resolution that you can find also in the packet. But I am going to um, add that Benita has been a marvelous teacher and mentor and primary instructor, adjunct instructor, and guest lecturer for over 20 years in various educational institutions. She's been a mentor in the county of Marin mentor program, College of Healthcare Executives, and I mentor Bay Area. And so for her many, many contributions professionally and, and off, uh, in her off work hours, the Marin County Board of Supervisors wishes to express its sincere gratitude for the many contributions she has made to the Department of Health and Human Services and to making Marin a healthier and safer and more equitable community. So we will pass the resolution uh, at the end of our remarks. Uh, and so I'm going to invite our elected officials to come up now. And we'll start with um, Supervisor, uh, excuse me, Assemblymember Conley. Sorry, Damon. <laughs> well, it's part of the hometown team. Come on. <laughs> I know. Maybe this morning I can uh, go back to that role. But Honorary? <laughs> no, it's really great to see uh, the board this morning. Um, good morning, community. I'm Damon Connolly, your state assembly member. Um, just really honored to be here this morning to recognize an extraordinary person and also public servant as we celebrate the remarkable career of the county's Director of Health and Human Services, Benita McLaren, on her well-deserved retirement after 43 years of dedicated public service, including four years of exemplary leadership in the County of Marin. And I was um, happy to actually participate in hiring uh, Benita uh, and just can attest how much she stood out uh, with her commitment and her background, and um, it certainly panned out where you were literally the right person uh, for the job in what turned out to be extraordinary times. Benita's commitment to public service has left an indelible mark on our community, and her impact over the years has been nothing short of extraordinary. Uh, it was mentioned in, in the resolution that you wrote um, a number of specific situations, including fire evacuations, public safety power shutoffs. And what really struck me is, is the level to which Benita was so hands-on um, at all times um, and all in. She didn't just oversee an emergency operations center. She pulled out the cot 
slept down there for like three or four nights in a row. It's as if she needed to kind of relive her army days <laughs> as she was doing this job. And it just, I think it really set the tone uh, for the approach <laughs> that all the rest of us um, uh, approached it with. And of course, um, that was a, but a warm up to uh, the pandemic. And I think that that really tested all of us. It tested the county. Um, it tested our community. And Benita, um, it was really your leadership and steadfastness throughout that um, that I think really allowed us to get that through that extraordinary time. I also had the pleasure of working closely with you on homelessness, uh, the mental health crisis that our communities are now facing. And as was uh, mentioned, your emphasis on bringing an equity approach, elevating all of us in, in what we're doing here uh, for county residents uh, will not be forgotten. Uh, her ability to make tough decisions coupled with her compassionate approach ensured that the residents of Marin County received the support and care they needed during these challenging times. As we bid farewell to Benita McLaren, I take a moment to express our profound gratitude for her four decades of service uh, to uh, the public and her, her four years to the County of Marin. Her impact on the health and well-being of, of our community is immeasurable, and her legacy will undoubtedly endure for years to come. Benita, your retirement is richly deserved, and we wish you all the joy, relaxation, hopefully, and fulfillment that this new chapter in life brings. May your future endeavors be as rewarding and inspiring as the incredible career you have left behind. Congratulations, Benita. Thank you for 43 years of selfless dedication to the betterment of the North Bay and beyond. And so it's my uh, distinct honor with uh, California State Senator Mike McGuire uh, to present a resolution. Uh, and we always get to make it really big, which is cool. I like that part of this gig. And uh, Summer Cassell is here for Senator McGuire. And again, uh, with sincere uh, appreciation and congratulations. Thank you. All right. Do we get a photo op later? That's got to happen. <laughs> Good, and I'm going to go ahead and read the Certificate of Special Congressional Recognition from our Congressman Jared Huffman, presented to Dr. Benita McLaren, in recognition of outstanding service to the residents of Marin County as Marin County Health and Human Services Director. Dr. McLaren led the county's largest department through three challenging years of the pandemic. Dr. Cl McLaren drew on her extensive education as well as her more than 20 years as a Medical Services Corps officer with the U.S. Army to benefit her staff and the residents of Marin County. 
Among her many contributions is the implementation of the Health and Human Services Strategic Plan to achieve health and wellness equity, recognizing the severity of institutional racism as a public health crisis. Dr. McLaren prioritized equity-driven initiatives, including training staff on how to lead an anti-racist organization. As director, she assisted in the establishment of three new home key sites and continued the implementation of Marin's Housing First policy. I join with her colleagues in extending deep appreciation to Dr. McLaren for outstanding public service to the Department of Health and Human Services and to the County of Marin. Dara Huffman, our Congressman. Congratulations. And Benita, we'll turn to you now for some comments. First of all, I want to say thanks be to God for the opportunities I've had over the last 43 years uh, to serve the public of the United States of America. I'm very thankful for my family um, and the support they have given of me during this time. I have a wonderful mother, Ethelene McLaren, who has just been a tremendous support for all these uh, 43 years, and I couldn't have done it without her support. I also want to thank my family, uh, brothers and sisters, represented by my sister, Michelle LaFalice, who is here today, and all my other siblings, uh, Benjamin, Melinda, and Kimberly, uh, who've just been tremendous support over this time. I also want to thank the many friends that I've had over the years who have gotten me through some tough times, and one of them is represented today with Julie Pock, who's here, and, I, and she represents my many friends and colleagues. I also want to thank my pastor, Bishop J.W. Macklin, who has just been an awesome leader in the state of California and throughout the world. He is the first presiding bishop of the Church of God in Christ International and a tremendous uh, leader, one that I have uh, tried to emulate in terms of caring, compassion, and dedication. Thank you, Bishop Macklin. I want to say thank you to the Board of Supervisors for the opportunity I've had over the last four years to serve here in Marin. It's truly been an experience, and it's always an honor to serve. I especially want to thank Supervisor Rice and Supervisor Moulton Peters for their support, and Supervisor Radoni, Supervisor Sackett, and Supervisor Lucan, all of them for supporting the best department in the county, Health and Human Services. <laughs> I also want to thank Matthew Heimel, County Executive Officer, for his support during my tenure as HHS Director. Um, his support on our equity agenda has been nothing but stellar. Thank you, Matthew. I also want to thank my fellow department heads. Uh, They've just been great. The women senior leaders in Marin and the Comea Affinity Group for all of their support. Although it's been a tumultuous and never dull last four years, including the COVID response, I can truly say that I'm glad that this is how I ended my career, fighting for equity and change wherever possible. 
I'm proud of our work providing benefits to those in need and feeding the hungry, improving the lives of foster children, fighting for homeless, reducing suicides and addiction, caring for families and newborns, reducing isolation for older adults, improving our systems with performance improvement work, uh, with new electronic health systems and social services and behavioral health, starting Veterans Corps, and so much more. There are so many accomplishments, and I'm grateful for the work uh, that I've had, the opportunity I've had to work with such smart and dedicated people in health and human services and throughout the county. It's hard to believe that a young 17-year-old from Memphis, Tennessee, who joined the Army just to get a high school class ring, is now completing 43 years of public service. I'm humbled by the thousands of people that we've been able to help and support, not just clients and patients, but also great soldiers, employees, community members, and partners. I want to say a special shout out and thank you to my military family, represented by Colonel Jim Myers, who's here today, and the great folks that I have, and the great folks that I've had the great opportunity to serve with in the last 43 years. I've uh, been in multiple countries and states and five counties that I've served with in these 43 years, and it's been an honor in every place. To the employees of Marin Health and Human Services, thank you for your hard work and dedication and commitment to the people of Marin and, to, and for your support during my tenure. You've been an awesome team, and I love you. I want to especially thank my executive team in HHS. They're tremendous leaders, and you're very fortunate to have them to continue here doing great work and leadership. I'm very proud of them. I want to say thank you all for a job well done, for your loyalty and your dedication and your great leadership. Keep up the good work. Keep moving forward. And just remember, if you remember who you are, listen to your heart, always do the right things, then you'll thrive and excel, and so will the community. Thank you for today. I'd like to invite members of the executive team in HHS to come up and give some comments. Oh no. Oh my. Uh oh. <laughs> you got it. Okay. <laughs> At this time, we would like to ask all employees of the Health and Human Services Department who are present here today to please stand. All portion of our 800 plus uh, strong staff, we are here to read um, the letters of Dr. McLaren's name. This shows our creativity. And um, 
and what each letter means to us and how Dr. McLaren has impacted each of us individually. I get the privilege to say dedicated for Dr. McLaren. For more than 43 years, you have been dedicated, you've, you've dedicated your life to serving the public with passion and integrity. You embody dedication. You have shown your commitment to our mission, especially in times of crisis. You showed up. I admire and appreciate your leadership. Thank you, Dr. McLaren. Hello, Carrie Bierman, Social Services Director, and I have the honor to read Responsive. Dr. McLaren embodies responsiveness as a leader. She is not only in the office five days a week, but some weeks seemingly 24-7. She can switch effortlessly from macro to micro and back again. Whether she is responding to the community or to your board regarding the COVID pandemic or doing an entrance or exit interview with every single person who joins our 800-person department, responsiveness is a quality that Benita successfully models for all of us. Thank you so much. Benita, I get to... Benita stands for Beast is Brave. A few short months into your role here, we were hit with a global pandemic. And soon after that, George Floyd was murdered. Your four years have spanned some of the most turbulent chapters in recent history. In times of uncertainty and fear, you led us with courage and conviction. You're leading us towards equity, social justice, anti-racism, and anti-oppression is hard for anyone. Carrying that work as a black woman in Marin County takes superhuman courage. Whether you know her or not, if you're part of this community, you've benefited from, from the fact that Benita is one of the bravest leaders I've known. Good morning, Todd Shermer, Director of Behavioral Health and Recovery Services. Uh, my letter is E for empowering. Uh, through her words and actions, Dr. McLaren has taught me what it means to be a leader. This includes simple day-to-day -day leadership, like setting an agenda and running a meeting, and complex tasks like articulating a long-term vision for the department and the county. She has seen it all and always knows what is going on behind the scenes. <laughs> she entrusts and empowers others to make difficult decisions and then stands by them. Thank you. Good morning. Amit Rajaparya, Medical Director for Behavioral Health and Recovery Services, and I get to talk about the letter N, Noble. Um, Dr. McLaren leads from a place of moral principles, both in the big moments and the little ones, even when these principles mean doing the difficult thing. And she's willing to put in the hard work to back it up. Her style of leadership naturally, naturally draws in followers and engenders great respect. She's a tremendous role model for all of us. Lisa Santora, Deputy Health Officer in Public Health. I have inclusiveness. Benita has been a role model for inclusive leadership. She has ensured that every volunteer, intern, and employee is treated fairly and respectfully and is fully accepted for all they are and all they bring to Team HHS. See, I care forever. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> 
Good morning, Gary Najaris, Director for Homelessness, and my letter is T for transformative. Dr. McLaren, through your unwavering focus on our HHS mission, you've transformed our approaches to behavioral health, social services, homelessness, aging, and public health, literally saving, excuse me, hundreds of thousands of lives and making things better for every resident of this county and making our county a leader in the Bay Area and across California. Thank you. Good morning, Nicole Tyler, Chief Strategy Officer for Health and Human Services. And I have the pleasure of presenting A for Advocate, actively supporting and representing the interests of others. Benita, you've always prioritized the needs of others and this community. I admire your consistency and always standing firm in doing the right thing. Sometimes this may not always be the popular thing, but you always continued your advocacy for the right thing. So thank you for that. <clears throat> Benita, we appreciate the legacy you are leaving us with and we'll continue as a department to do the work that you have reminded us is so important. I hope you see just a fraction of the people in this department who admire you and love you dearly. And as a token of our appreciation, we want to present you with the departmental award, as well as this wonderful bouquet of flowers. <laughs> Dr. Benita, for being such an inspirational leader, and we wish you all the best in your next phase. Thank you. like to invite members of the public now to come up and I do want to acknowledge team HHS for your blue suits that you all wore <laughs> today <laughs> all right if there's anyone uh, who hasn't spoken yet would like to make some remarks now is the time we'll take uh, people in the chamber first starting with the bishop and then we'll go online so please come on up and uh, give your name thank you very much for allowing Alameda County to be represented here at Marin County. <laughs> Thank you very much. I am Bishop Jerry Macklin at Glad Tidings Church uh, International there in Hayward, California. And uh, Miss Benita has been a phenomenal member of our church and a great uh, contributor to the better health of not only our city of Hayward, but throughout our, our county. There are a few things that uh, I have said over the years that I see her embody. And so from now on, I just need to point people to her and I won't have to say it. Uh, one has been anyone wrapped up in themselves makes a small package. You have not done that. You have been larger than life. Um, he that aims at nothing seldom misses. Benita, you have constantly kept the goal in mind and you've accomplished so very much. 
It begins with you, but it's not about you. That has been your lifestyle and your life mission. And then finally, it makes no difference who gets the credit as long as God gets the glory. And God has received much glory as a result of your service. Thank you, not only on behalf of Marin, but on behalf of your church and the kingdom of our Lord. Thank you so very much. Good morning, board. Latoya Webb, HHS, also Comeo president. Um, I'm going to do my best to keep it together. Um, Dr. Benita, you are a light. Um, so Comey is here today to present you with these four dozen yellow roses because you are a light. Um, as a reminder to you how much of an impact that you've had here um, and that you're leaving a long lasting legacy. I do have a few words, so I'll make it quick. Dr. Benita McLaren, since you stepped foot into the county, you have been a light. Before even getting the job, being disregarded, disrespected, and counted out for a position that you would have that would impact many. The odds were stacked against you. You've held your head high and continued to be a light, shining, pressing forward. Publications discrediting your ability to do the job, yet being overqualified, you press forward. I think we have the definition of light all wrong. In my opinion, light is not the absence of darkness. It is the unstoppable force that exists even when surrounded by darkness. Thank you for being a light and unknowingly planting seeds, providing inspiration for us to grow become, and become stronger and rooted. Thank you for being a light that always showed up authentically. Thank you for not allowing anyone or anything to dim who you are or your impact. We see you. We support you and your next phase of your journey. We also appreciate you. So today, we honor you, reminding you that you have not only impacted HHS, but an entire community. Thank you for being a light. God bless. Sorry, got emotional. Before um, Kiana Davis speaks, um, on behalf, this is from the Comea board and community, these roses, as well as this spa gift certificate. <laughs> we want you to enjoy yourself and kick this retirement off right. So we love you. I'll try to hold it together also. Good morning, Board of Supervisors, my coworkers, teammates, partners in public service, and to you, my queen. I am Kiana Davis with Public Works and a proud member of Kamea's board. Today, we as Kamea are feeling bittersweet. As much as we are excited about Dr. Benita's retirement, it stings a little because it feels like we are losing such an exceptional leader. I mean, we heard the words today. Dr. Benita is one that is consistent, one that Kamea could count on always. Your encouraging words, your absolutely beautiful smile, that famous 
thumbs up as she walked by <laughs> and your honesty. And to get all of that, to get all of that from a department head such as Dr. McLaren set the tone for greatness here in this county. So we as Kamea had a chance to talk with Dr. Benita recently, and none of those in the room wanted to even leave your presence. We soaked up every second, every minute to do nothing but glean from you. We gathered your words and we stored them in our hearts. Dr. McLaren, you are an example of exemplary leadership a pillar in the community with the ability to be honest. You are a problem solver focused on solutions, a forward thinker and a hard worker, a game changer and an influencer. And yet you always still find a way to provide words of strength to continue to help us to push forward to our greatness. Today we want you to know just how amazing of a light that you are to us and to this county. You have the ability to shine no matter where you are. You showed up with intentions to make it better and to make it brighter than what you found it. As we all wish you well and we stand here to salute you. We are grateful to be able to see you take a position in this county and to be successful at it during the toughest of times. And as we stand on your shoulders, we want you to know that you are the light that we carry. Michelle Obama authored a book titled The Light We Carry, Overcoming in Uncertain Times. There's a part in the book that says, I believe that each of us carries a bit of inner brightness, something entirely unique and individual, a flame that's worth protecting. When we are able to recognize our own light, we become empowered to use it. And when we learn to foster what is unique in the people around us, we become better able to build compassionate communities and make meaningful changes. Today we stand here shining and we shine bright. As members of Kamea, we thank you, Dr. McLaren, for believing in us. We thank you for showing us how to carry inner brightness first within ourselves, even when others try to dim out our light or snuff it out. You have showed us that. You have kept our light bright, brightly shining. Matter of fact, our light is burning bright. And you have modeled behavior that showed us how to allow our light to touch others and to make a positive impact. So you encouraged us by standing as individuals. We have something in us worth protecting. That's what you have taught us. That's what we have watched. You have helped us to recognize our own light. We watched you empower others to use their light more than anything. We watched you take your light to ignite others, which led us all to build, to be compassionate, and to never forget the communities that we serve. So Dr. Benita, we stand here as your lights. Look around the room. Take it in. Look around. We proudly salute you for making meaningful change for Kamea and for the overall county of Marin. May your light continue to burn bright and ignite goodness and blessings in your next chapter. We wish you the absolute best. Congratulations.
That is one tough act to follow. <laughs> Everyone's heart here. Anybody with a dry eye here, you know, check yourself because there's something <laughs> wrong. Um, for those that don't know me, I'm Lori Frigoli. It's my honor to serve as your district attorney. And um, I don't want to repeat what everyone has said here. I just want to say um, from my heart as, an, as a newer department head, I have seen your brilliance, that you are truly a servant. That's one common term that we hear about you, and it's from your heart and your soul. Um, and you are so humble. And our department head meetings, you have led with equity and your heart and wisdom. You rarely wag your own tail or talk about your accomplishments, which is such a rare quality in a leader. And I, I, when I first learned that you were a veteran, it was when I came to a veteran ceremony, and there you were in your uniform. I'm like, what do I not know about this woman? It's a million things. You've done so many things. You never uh, talk about your own accomplishments and what you've done. You just keep leading, and you just keep working. And for that, um, we honor you, and I just want to thank you personally for, on behalf of our Gun Safety Collaborative where you have stepped up and been a leader. You've helped with our veterans' support and supported our veterans, and I just want to tell one story that really, to me, exemplified. I shared this with you last night um, that we were at a meeting with a lot of county leaders from different county entities, and I won't say how many people, many, were criticizing the policies in place during COVID and masking and shutdowns and just the meeting was getting at almost out of control and people were, when are we gonna open up? When are we gonna do this? And, and you handled it with grace and wisdom and all you said, which stopped everybody in their tracks was, we are saving lives. And it shut everybody up, for lack of a better term, and it really brought everybody back to the reality of what we were facing at that moment in time in our world and in our county and how you were leading. Um, and it, I so honor you for that moment. You didn't have to say that, but you did. And um, I just wish you well and also honor you. I know you spend a lot of time taking care of your mother. You've made so many sacrifices for our county. It's time that you really take this time for yourself and we wish you all the best and hope to see you around the community. I Good morning, Ida Times Green and Dr. McLaren, I am just so grateful, so proud to have gotten to know you in the capacity that I have over these years. You deserve your flowers on today. And in this chamber, it's so fitting that um, we are here to wish you well and uh, for your next journey because it was here four years ago that uh, the board introduced you as the new HHS director and a proud moment, I have to say, because here stood this beautiful black woman who is getting ready to lead one of the largest departments here in the county where we only represent 2% of the county, and you have forged on. And on that day when we met, I was here with my mentor, Alberta Erickson, God rest her soul, and I took your uh, business card, and when I got home, I put it in my Bible because I said, you must you must pray for her because this county can be tough. Believe me, my mother sat in a director position in this county. And so I, I appreciate the county for its boldness, for putting someone like yourself in place. And I believe that we continue to edge a little further in the equity part of what's happening in the lives of so many. You've made such a difference. So, yes, shed your tears. 
smell your flowers, enjoy your massage. You've deserved it. proud to be able to stand here as an employee in the Department of Health and Human Services and Social Services because of your leadership. The services have been expanded to Southern Marin. That is a part of your legacy, something that this county has been working towards for years. You made that happen. And so we must continue the work. We shall fight the good fight. You have challenged us and we are going to do it. Thank you, Dr. McLaren. Love you so much. My God. Good morning, board, and good morning, Benita. This is horrible following up on some of these speeches. <laughs> Mine is not going to be so impressionable, but Benita, I wanted to just recall the time when you and I first met. It was a phone call on the weekend, I think it was March, whatever, when you said, Liz Darby, report to duty at the EOC at 9 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, what? And I learned from that that when Benito says do something, I just needed to show up. While I was working with you in COVID, uh, I had the fortune and the honor, of course, of working in communities, in our underserved communities. And that's when I got to know you as a person, your leadership, your integrity, your caring, your genuineness to support our residents and our communities, particularly those in our underserved communities, particularly those of color. Yes, we knew the data about the health outcomes. You expanded that. You made sure that equity was first and center in all of the work that we did together. And you took my calls in the morning, late at night, when we were texting, when I was having those challenges to figure out how to do this, you led and you taught me. And for that, I will always be grateful. And our communities should always be grateful. And I know it's been a tough road, but I hope today you've gotten a chance to see just a glimmer of how much we've respected and cared for you and supported you all the time. And we wish you only the best. Thank you so much, Benita. Good morning, Supervisors. Good morning, Benita. I'm Jason Balderrama, the Chief Information Security Officer in our Information Services and Technology Department. Uh, Liza Massey, our Chief Information Officer, unfortunately could not make it today. Uh, but just thinking of what you said earlier, I know she would say that she too has the best department in the county. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say what a pleasure it's been to work with you and to help support your department, particularly with the COVID response. You know, I think that uh, showed that we really did our best there, uh, whether it be supporting the various pop-up sites or facilities needs, getting new applications online, setting up new websites, doing public communications, and even just getting on the front line, serving as DSWs, being able to support the community. And all that was made possible by your leadership and your department. So just want to say on behalf of IST, truly thank you. I wish I'd had more time to get to know you better and work with you, but I can see from all the comments and everything that uh, you know, I think the presence in this room is just a testament to uh, what you're leaving behind. So anyway, thank you so much. Raleigh Cats Marine Association of Public Employees. All the departments are the best departments because they all have mate members working in them. <laughs> uh, 
I won't, uh, people have been far more eloquent than I will be, but I just wanted to also add on behalf of MAPE our appreciation for your service to the county uh, and your time here. Uh, and public service, as I often say, is an honorable calling, and you've got a very, very long history of answering that call. And I do want to add that um, I have to think back about the, the worst time during the COVID shutdown and the, all the work that the county did, but your department in particular and your leadership to that was critical because lots of people were getting lots of malarkey uh, when we were just out trying to make sure people were healthy. Thank you. I want to say I thank the board uh, for having this resolution. I want to thank uh, Damon Connolly for coming and showing up, and Matthew Hymos, and everyone for selecting Benita for the position because we know the systemic challenges at the director position and dealing with community-based um, issues it's, it's challenging, and because you didn't waver from it, from it, and you were transformative because you inspired everybody. And knowing that I am a HHS guy, and I always say that to you, and you give me the thumbs up, and let's give a round of applause for HSS and the departments. <laughs> I just want to say that, you know, when we talk about transformative, it's about not dividing, but bringing everybody together. And when you look at Bonita, her tenure for the four years, she brought people together. And when we saw those um, informations being uh, in IJ, we know when you're at the apex of your career, people are going to try to tear you down because they're afraid, because they know what you bring and the influence you have. And the influence you brought to Moran County is bringing people together and not dividing people. And everybody needs to respect that and understand that, you know, the challenge that comes with that, and because we know it's optics, you're dealing with public, you're dealing with the board, you're dealing with the administration, you're dealing with a whole breakdown of, of, of procedures and protocols, and you to overcome that and bring everybody together shows your perseverance and your tenacity. So. Hi, I'm a short one here. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Jamie, Jamie Ann Farrow. Um, I'm a volunteer. Unlike all of you who have ranks and abbreviations behind your name, I don't. I'm just a simple person. And uh, come before you, Benita. You know, I came in and I see you coming through the door and together with Jay and everyone, you know. Um, bottom of the totem pole watching the leaders in the making and the leaders in the shaping. So it was a very humbling experience to be able to see and watch, you know, leadership taking shape. And in the voice of equity, I'm speaking today because uh, there's so much need for us, the segregated society and people who are actually so far apart. But yet today I'm wearing blue because of health and human services. Just FYI, I recently um, took some courses in health and human services. I'm now pursuing a degree in it. Yeah, I just... Be <laughs> Custer College, I just finished three, some, uh, three courses, nine credits, and pursuing three more in the spring. But it's all because of the leaders in the health and human services, what we are doing. 
And uh, I want to say under the esteemed leadership of Benita and my professor, Anita Mikos. But uh, I'm not going to distract on that, uh, digress on that. But I want to say, Benita, you're exemplary. Showing in what you do, not just talk the talk, but walk the talk. To be able to show us in leadership, in equity, with Jamila under her belt of equity as well. Because we are so marginalized in marine. Despite that, we have so many colors and spectrum. There's no one size that fits all. So I'm humbly coming before you to thank you from the bottom of my little heart to say that there's so much that we need to do collaboratively, especially Damon, you on the upper right there, to see how we can build marine. Because there's so much of us that we need help, I mean, where you do with mental health, together with Todd and uh, Matt, when you do with health and health, human services of COVID, and everyone, the leaders in the room, you guys are at the expertise in the room. Can we find a way to work together, put our petty differences aside, but let Benita show as an example to us where she has undertaken so many, uh, so much under her belt. I'm not going far, so Eric, I'm not going to take up the time of the board. But I'm just wanting to say, you all have so many districts. But can we come together with one common goal, with compassion in our hearts, especially in these times of need, with kindness and an act of spontaneity? Can we do something different this time? Instead of segregation, but link with our hearts, so that we can have a little bit cheer, so that we can give a little way of this time to give. You know, Benita, you, you, you have so much uh, big footprint that you left behind. I don't know how do we feel in your roles. You know, I hope we can, but it is a tall order. And uh, being a volunteer, I learned so much through your work. I have not directly had a chance to work with you. But I'm sure when we meet each other in Nevada or somewhere along the line, I can hear about your experiences and how to set example in the health and human services. Because in the work of that, I learned that's where the heart is, right? So how do you embody that and use that to serve our community better, to be of servitude, to be better representation of the community and um, be a better person, I guess? Thank you. Ramona Little Taylor, Assistant Director of Marin County Free Library, and I just want to take this moment to thank you, Benita, um, for your leadership as a black woman in executive leadership in Marin County. It's not easy um, seeing you in every meeting, with the management council, other assistant department heads has really transformed um, my life and influenced, and you've influenced me in such a way that I think I can't even articulate the words very well, um, but you've showed me strength. Um, you've helped me through some of my hardest times being a black woman in executive leadership at the county. You really, you listened to me you heard um, how difficult it can be um, at the top, and you really have just poured yourself into demonstrating the type of servant leadership that I think we all aspire to in public services, 
And I just want to say, you know, the lies that have been said about you are very untrue. Um, and I want to go on a record with that. And I'm sorry that, you know, it's not my role to apologize, but I, I want to say and acknowledge that I'm sorry that you were treated in such a way um, with all of the leadership you've demonstrated in this county um, over the past four years through some of the darkest and most difficult time. You have been the light, as Komea said, for us. And I want you to know that we see you, we support you, and we love you. And thank you for everything you've done for the county, um, for the leaders, and for all of the departments. You've been nothing but a light, as Komea said, and I want you to remember that. So thank you. Hi, my name is Robin Barron, and I am a department analyst with our HHS department, with our strategy team. I'm equity branch of that strategy team. And I just want to say, Benita, you have never made my job hard. You have made my job easy. You have given me access to people in um, positions of power to make decisions about equity um, and inclusion and belonging. You have given me space to challenge people um, to uh, really look at how we are addressing equity um, and to know the difference between equality versus equity. Um, and you've never been ashamed of that. Um, and I also want to say that one of the things that a lot of folks have said here is that it's really been meaningful for you to be a black woman in this position. And what they're saying is representation matters. And to have a woman of color here um, in this position has been so meaningful because your lived experience has been meaningful. And regardless of what people have said to you, your position has been meaningful to me and to everyone at HHS. And I want you to know that Barack Obama was uh, criticized for wearing a tan suit. So, you know, like, I mean, I just feel like a lot of black folks in positions of power get criticized for every little thing because of who they are. And so I want you to know, and I want you to know that God sees you and that we all see you as a beloved woman of God and as a black woman who has led our department with power and grace and has spoken truth to power. And we bless you in your retirement and thank you for your leadership. Thank you, Ava Crisanti. I want to recognize all the appreciation of Benita McLaren and her hard work for the county. I also think it's important to recognize that Benita was limited in what she could do because of the leadership in this county. While representation matters, it is also worth noting that this Board of Supervisors is entirely white and their decisions. I note that Damon Connolly is here. Assemblyman Damon Connolly is here. It was Damon Connolly and Kate Collin and um, Assembly, I'm sorry, uh, State Senator Mike McGuire, who uh, put together that internment camp under the freeway. One person who is not here even to see this event is Jimmy Sanders, a black Marine Corps veteran who died on the street last July. Uh, he was remanded into that camp because law enforcement in this county decided to take his RV improperly, and so he was made homeless. And this is someone who was already made sick by his military service. 
he was at Camp Lejeune. Um, I just think it's important. We have a lot of work to do, and I understand the political purpose of the county congratulating itself, but it's also, it's not okay when the people who, who need to be here, who need to be heard, are not really made to feel welcome in the room. Thank you, Vanita, for your service. I think you did a good job by the county. The issue is really, what are the county's goals? Uh, Damon Connolly has provided no explanation um, for, for his putting together that camp. It was a majority black and Latino camp, and they were treated horribly. It was, it was the worst treated group of unhoused people in the entire county. There was no lawyer to come to their aid. Uh, I asked for a health inspection many times. I contacted Damon Connolly, Connolly's office many times. Mary Sackett remembers this. We must remember the people we are here to serve. We are here to serve. Thank you. Hi, um, my name is Amy Dietz. I'm a senior program coordinator for Health and Human Services, and I just want to say how impressed I was that you just show up. Um, I've had the opportunity to volunteer at some of our overnight shelters during the storms, and you show up at six in the morning with a hot chocolate bar to serve the homeless, right? Like, we're not expecting you to be there. You just show up. Um, at the softball games, you show up, and you're distributing chips to everyone, um, like Cracker Jacks to the stands. And um, just how impressed I've been that you show up for your Health and Human Services employees when they're not expecting it. You're just there in support, and I think that that's emblematic of everything that you are and how much I've appreciated seeing that. So thank you. Greetings to the board, and hopefully, I guess maybe I'll be the last one and maybe appropriate. I am Michelle LaFalez. I am Benita's oldest sister. I am the firstborn, and I know her very well. <laughs> I could tell a lot of little secrets. <laughs> uh, but I just want to stand and represent our family. Our parents are very proud of you. We come from a humble background, as Benita has said. There were times when, as children, we had to heat up our bath water on the stove to take baths. So when you see Benita and all her accomplishments and all her sacrifices, they are real and they're from the heart. We are so proud of you, Benita. She graduated from Washington University, which is the Harvard of the Mideast. <laughs> <laughs> then she went to Harvard and graduated from there. So that just, you know, and it just goes on and on. But just as you see her at work, she is at home too. <laughs> Let me tell you, she's a soldier over us and she commands us just as much as she commands you all. But we love her dearly and she has set the example and I'm so proud to hear all of your testimonies about her. It really is important and it really is value of what you all have done and what you all have said. And I'm gonna take it back to my family. We're very proud, we love you. I believe one speaker online, 
uh, we have two, I see. Uh, so this is for Dr. McLaren's retirement. The first speaker is Musa Tariq. Please unmute. Uh, hi, I, I realize this is for the commendation, so I'll raise my hand for the next round of public comments. Okay, thank you. The next speaker is Ken Shapiro. Please unmute. <laughs> 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 hi, everybody. Can you hear me? I don't see a picture of myself, but that's okay. We need. I, I was going to show you all the gray hairs on my beard, and I, uh, it's on my time with you that I, uh, I say are responsible for them. But they're, I wouldn't trade it for a minute, for anything. Uh, every minute with you was a joy. I miss you so much. I think about you every day. Every little lesson you taught me, I'm applying to my life every single day. You're an amazing leader. You're an amazing mentor. And I miss your laugh so much. Especially at the end of the day, when we'd go through all the stuff that was so difficult and the, the problems we didn't have a solution for, you'd still find a way to make me laugh every single evening. And I'm, I'm so happy to dip my toe back into Marin for a couple minutes and see all these people honoring you. And uh, I'm just so proud of you. Congratulations. Yes, uh, Matthew Heimel, please. All right, well, good morning, and um, you know, I think everybody has said it better than I can say it, but I did want to add my personal thanks to Benita. And uh, you know, when we first interviewed Benita, I just couldn't think how fortunate we were to have someone with her character, her intellect, and her caring nature. And we couldn't have seen what we were going to be in store for over the next four and a half years, but all of those were tested, and, and, and you, you know, stepped up even more than we could have imagined. So I want to thank you for that. And I know you're a religious person. I'm not particularly a religious person, but I think there was a little divine intervention here to bring us, bring you to our community when we needed you most. And so thank you for that service. And, um, you know, I can't imagine anyone who deserves a more, you know, wonderful retirement. And so thank you so much. And we wish you nothing but the best from the county family. And I, I hope to um, continue to learn from you and, and work with you as I take my transition as well. Thank you. There we go. All right. I want to bring it back to the board now for some closing comments, and then we'll pass that resolution. Vice President Radoni. Wow, what a morning. Congratulations, Benita. You know, I don't, I don't know if you could have packed anything more into four years, you know, so I think we probably maxed you out, but I'm sure if we had something else, you would have handled it really well. You know, a couple of people talked about showing up, walking the talk today, and I think that's what I like the most about you, because as supervisors, we're out in the community a lot, and almost always Benita would be at those events. Um, I could remember several times you coming to Bolinas at night, um, knowing you had a long ride home, but showing up there was so important to that community. And I have to confess to you that recently, two or three months ago, we were there, and a gentleman came up to you and told you how the social worker had saved his life, basically, by, by getting him a surgery he needed. And 
I have to confess, I sent him up to you that night. <laughs> but I'm glad I did now that you announced your retirement because I think that's a moment that you'll remember. Thank you so much. Dr. McLaren, um, I, we've heard so many wonderful things about you today. Um, one of the th numbers that just jumps out to me is that under your leadership, 150 units of permanent supportive housing it, were created in Marin County. That there's no small feat there, and that was due to your unabashed leadership um, of a great team who then took that and ran with it um, and knew that you supported them through all that work. So many generations to come are grateful for those units of housing. I've really appreciated um, our monthly discussions where your frank honesty breaks through from your always professional decorum. Um, You've pointed so many things out to me that I don't experience in this county, and I really appreciate that. I know one of your concerns when you talked about retiring was, will, your, will all the work you've done on equity be carried forward? And I think this room is a testament that you've touched so many people deeply and internally that um, there's a lot of us to carry your work on. So thank you so much. Enjoy your retirement. Uh, Benita, um, what a what a wonderful morning! And I know it's I know this is what the bishop said things shouldn't be about, but this is all about you. <laughs> um, I am just going to really miss you so much. Um, Benita does show up everywhere, um, unbelievably so, and she was also at every single <laughs> Tuesday meeting, <laughs> right? Um, we have uh, spent a lot of time together in different ways, and I'm going to miss those monthly calls and the frankness, but also all the other interactions, like everyone else in this room who has stood up and spoken, and those who haven't, and the many, many folks uh, on your HHS team and beyond. Um, you have inspired me. You have bolstered me, and I think you have made me a better person and a better leader. And hopefully, and it doesn't sound like that, um, maybe I'll move forward with more humility and also more conviction for having worked with you um, during these last four years. Um, it has been just something to hear everybody, um, all your people, um, speak today. Um, and I'm so glad they have had the opportunity not only to share with you their experience with you, um, but also so that the entire county can hear how much you have meant to us as individuals and to um, the health of this county and community and to the betterment of this place going forward. So thank you so, so much for your service here and uh, for being such an incredibly wonderful colleague. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Benita. Uh, first and foremost, please don't teach anybody else how to retire. Um, <laughs> you even do this with such excellence. You're making it look so appealing. No, really congratulate you and thank you for everything. Uh, just a couple quick words at the end here. Um, thank you for choosing Marin. Um, with all of your experience, with everything that you've done in your career, with all the letters after your name, you could have gone anywhere. Uh, and, and you chose to spend uh, these past four years here in the county of Marin. We can't thank you enough. And Boy, did we need you during that time. 
thank you for loving Marin, uh, for living out your faith each and every day uh, in serving those and putting others above yourself. Uh, and, and lastly, you know, as you're leaving, you're not just leaving the county, you're leaving a legacy. And thank you for leaving something behind that we can continue to build off of. Uh, my only regret is that I only got to spend a uh, one year uh, of, of your tenure here uh, with you, um, but I, I thank you for everything that you've left here and wish you the very best uh, in your retirement. Thank you. Yeah. You, you are leaving a legacy, Benita. I hope you know that. And I want to thank you for prioritizing health and wellness for all people and also for your work in elevating the needs of Marin City and Southern Moran, and persevering with your vision of the health and wellness hub in Southern Marin. I know we're going to make it happen, hopefully this week, <laughs> and for bringing in the mobile van services and Ida Green in the meantime to lead the effort down there with all of your staff helping out. That has been so meaningful for all of us in Southern Moran. I want to thank you for your work with the homeless and the encampments, um, the anchor outs on Richardson Bay. That was a tough situation. And we were making it up all the time, as <laughs> Gary and Ken have said. And it worked out very well. And we've set a model that I'm very proud of. I want to thank you for your personal warmth and compassion and the way you build relationships with all of us. I think every one of us in this room has been touched by you and you've made a difference in our lives. So I, I just, on behalf of our community and, and all of us here, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for choosing Marin and for everything you've done for us. Have a great retirement. Okay, would you move the resolution? I'd like to move the resolution um, commending Dr. Benita McLaren for her four years of service here at the County of Marin and her 43 years of exemplary service to the people of the United States of America. All right. Second. Okay. A motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That motion carries. Thank you, Benita. Benita, if you and Matthew would join us for a photo up front here, the board, and Damon, come join us.
take notes for Marsh?
We are going to reconvene now as the Board of Supervisors. We're going to have public open time. And I am going to read our admonishment to the community about open time. The Marin County Board of Supervisors encourages a respectful dialogue that supports freedom of speech and values diversity of opinion. The board, staff, and members of the public are expected to be civil and courteous and to refrain from questioning the character or motives of others. The county requests that speakers not use threatening, profane, or abusive language which disrupts, disturbs, or otherwise impedes the orderly conduct of the board meeting. Members of the public may comment on any item on the agenda during the board consideration of the item. And I will invite public comment following the staff presentation on each item, generally giving two minutes unless we have a large crowd. I also want to take a moment to observe the expressions uh, that we've just heard about Marin County and what we value, which is coming together rather than divisiveness. And that is the hallmark of Marin County, is to come together to solve the issues that are before us here in the county. So with that, I'm going to open now to public open time. And I'm going to ask people to line up in the chambers, please, so I can see how many are here that wish to speak. If you wish to speak online, please raise your hand now. We will have 45 minutes this morning for public comment. And anyone who doesn't uh, have the opportunity to speak can speak at the end of today's business meeting. I'm going to do what I did last week, which was to invite five speakers in the chambers, and then we'll go five speakers online. So, um, and I'm going to look at how many speakers we have. I'm seeing. Matthew, are you able to get a count for how many we have in the chambers, sp speakers? Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm going to ask everyone because if we're, I'd like to hear everyone this morning. And so I'm going to, in order to do that within 45 minutes, I'm going to ask everyone to just make your comments uh, brief, one minute, please. Please give your name and make your comment, and we'll, again, take five speakers in the chamber, then we'll go online, come back to the chamber. So please, if you'd like to start. Hello, my name is Ava. I grew up on a boat in Richardson Bay, and I'm a student at College of Marin. And I'm here to ask you to please put forth a resolution for a ceasefire, and to please pass a resolution and follow suit. Oakland and Richmond have already passed ceasefire resolutions. And I really shouldn't have to say, stop bombing children. And sh that shouldn't be a controversial opinion that the government should stop bombing children. And you know, there are several genocides going on in the world. And I think we need to recognize that we are the benefactors of the systems that allow for us to be so privileged at the expense of millions of other people around the world who literally die so we can have strawberries year round even when they're not in season. Um, we have surpassed the numbers of the original 1948 Nakba, where Palestinians were murdered and displaced, and there has been an ongoing genocide, much like the genocide that happened here in America. Thank you. At the we're Native Americans. Time. Thank you very much. Next speaker, please. 
Hi, my name is Tyler. I go to Terralinda. I'm urging the Marin County Board of Supervisors to propose and pass a ceasefire resolution. How many people does it is it going to take to come and demand a ceasefire resolution for you to do it? 400 signatures on the petition online. How many people, dozens of people, have come and made public comment, and no action has been taken? The Gaza health system, all the hospitals, are in disrepair. It's the doctors there have said the medical system has collapsed. There's a, break, a large breakout of hepatitis A across Gaza, and the UNRWA says that this will only grow in number and severity if there's not an immediate permanent ceasefire from the entirety of Gaza. Our government funds this genocide and the killing and bombing of civilians. Israel's bombed schools, UN workers, children, hospitals. They're shooting people who try to leave a hospital to get dead people. They're piling bodies in the Thank hospital. Thank you. We're at time. Next when speaker, please. When will you call for a Next ceasefire? Next speaker, please. Hi. <clears throat> Roger Stoll, San Rafael, <clears throat> speaking for a unilateral permanent uh, ceasefire resolution. Um, I'm going to talk about a particular issue. Uh, Yom Kippur happened to come before Israel stepped up killing of Palestinians. Um, but when I was in synagogue chanting and fasting this year, a thought crossed my mind. Any synagogue's congregation might be targeted by someone who linked Jewish identity to Israel and was outraged by Israel's treatment of Palestinians. They might know of the British, Israeli, and American project to rid historic Palestine of its indigenous people in a protracted and now rapid ethnic, ethnic cleansing and genocide. It's hard to blame any Gentile for this confusion. Zionism has been a tenet of every Jewish institution I've grown up with, including synagogues, religious schools, and summer camps. So there is some logic in Israel's apologists conflating anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. But because of their insistence, on identifying Judaism with Zionism, as do the mainstream Jewish institutions, they have amplified the risks from anti-Semitism, and you should Thank not you. listen to them. We're at time. You should not listen to them. Thank you. Hello, my name is Janine Heron. I'm 87 years old, and I started my teaching career in Ramallah at a Quaker Friends School in Ramallah. We protested against the Vietnam War because we felt American, America was doing immoral and illegal things against another nation. At, after 9-11, we rushed into action with in, improper information and we should have learned a lesson from that. Right now, America is supporting an incredibly horrible war against uh, the Palestinians. We were not anti-American when we pro protested the Vietnam War. We loved America, and we are not anti-Israeli or anti-Semitic now when we protest the horrible and illegal and immoral actions we're at time of Israel. Now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we're going to go online. The first speaker is Lori Dubbin. Please unmute. 
Laurie, I think you lower your hand. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. talk about um, the United Nations. The United Nations, uh, they have a Human Rights Commission, and it's pretty much uh, uh, ignored by uh, countries who have uh, who violated Russia, China, North Korea, Cuba, Venezuela, Iran. Okay, uh, so I mean, that's just what, what you expect from countries like that that has no democracy. So the question is, why is it that we have a Human Rights Commission here in Marin, supposedly a um, very outstanding county, but uh, your commissioners, uh, they don't go by the Brown Act, they don't go by their own bylaws, they don't go by the Robert's Rules of Order, um, and they actually attack journalists, they, uh, uh, they, wanna, they don't want any, any kind of participation, so in a way, why don't you start doing something about the Human Rights Commission in your own backyard? The next speaker is Leslie Savelli. Please unmute. I'm going to read really quickly because I need the whole minute. As an Armenian Jew that is a direct descendant of genocide on both sides, the lack of a stance is beyond offensive. The lack of outcry is what has allowed and contributed to every past genocide in history. As I said after the last board meeting to Ms. Sackett, uh, the woman who attacked people for and said their children should be raped and murdered, that should have been a hate crime. And if that had been said to Jewish people, that would have been a hate crime. If this were happening to the Jewish community, community that would there would be a stance. Just as Rutgers Huffman immediately came out and on Facebook spoke after 10-7. You don't have the ability for a ceasefire, but you do have the ability to serve your public and take a stance against the clear genocide. The next speaker is Musa Tariq. Please unmute. Uh, hi. Uh, before I start, I'd like to commend Health and Human Services Director Danina McLaren on her retirement and your service. Um alaikum. My name is Musa, and I'm speaking on behalf of CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. We urge the city of Marin to propose and pass a ceasefire resolution and call for a cessation of hostilities following suit with Richmond and Oakland. 20,000 Palestinians have been killed by Israel, nearly half of them being children. The average age of those killed is five years old and 99% of the casualties have been innocent civilians. And Israel is using dehumanizing language to justify this genocide by using phrases such as human animals and children of the darkness. And that language has repercussions here at home. Many Muslims in our Bay Area communities are recalling the post-9-11 era of mass surveillance and Islamophobia. We've seen reports of employment termination, hate crimes, surveillance, death threats, and more. And by now, we've all heard about the six-year-old Palestinian boy in Chicago who was fatally stabbed 26 times. And the language our electeds use matters because this is horrifying and it won't end there. We need to consider Palestinian people as human beings with hopes and dreams. So we urge you to stay on the right side of history and support a ceasefire resolution in the city of Marin. Thank you so much. The next speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Notwithstanding the cause and motivations, all actions have consequences. Actions and reaction to events are often judged on the basis of the proportionality, being a question of scale. They are also judged on the basis of the appropriateness of their focus. 
self-destruction as the means to the downfall, not of, just of individuals, but of nations as well. That is why we have the admonitions against vengeance and vindictive hot-headedness. In the Torah is the statement, the sins of the father will be visited unto the third generation. So here we are. It's time to remind ourselves that we are not helpless in our choices. Had the events of October 7th been treated properly as a crime scene, the opportunity for a measured response would have been possible. This was not the case. The next speaker is Gila Rice. Please unmute. Good morning and thank you. Calls for a ceasefire here in Marin, the Bay Area, or across the country will not end what is happening in the Middle East. What it will do and does is flame the fire of anti-Semitism to hatred here in Marin, the Bay Area, and across the country. This is not a fight against the people of Gaza or the Palestinians, but a fight against Hamas, which is not just, which not just Israel, but Australia, Canada, Japan, Paraguay, New Zealand, the UK, United States, and European Union have all designated as a terrorist organization. This conflict, this war, could and would end today if Hamas only did one thing, hand over all of the kidnapped victims, men, women, children, babies, and sadly hand over any bodies of murdered victims. The loss of life in the region is tragic and heartbreaking, but let us not forget one basic thing, that the death, the suffering, and war is the root of Hamas. They are evil, and they are the ones that need to be end, and they must be eliminated. Thank you to the board for this time. We're going to go back into the chambers now for the next five speakers. If you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Ariane Schneider-Stalking. I have been horrified by what has been happening in Gaza, in Ramallah, in Palestine. We know that more than 17,400 Gazans have been killed. 1.8 million Gazans have been displayed. Tens of thousands are at risk of imminent death. Gutierrez warned Gaza is becoming a graveyard for children. Israel pushed the population from northern Gaza to the south, then invaded the south. Israeli authorities told Gazans to flee for their lives to zones within the south and then bombed these places to which the Gazans had been directed. I am absolutely opposed to these actions that are supported by the United States by, with our military aid that we give every second to Israel. I want my county and my county representatives to support an immediate permanent ceasefire in Gaza now. Thank you. We're at time. Next speaker, please. Over 17,000 dead. A Palestinian child is killed every 10 minutes. A thousand limbs lost on the children who survived. Operations without anesthesia. No food, no water, no sanitation. People who survived the bombings are dying of disease and infection. Starvation, exposure to the elements, white phosphorus. A ceasefire is an immediate need to save anybody that we can that is left alive, as well as an immediate stop to the millions of dollars Marin County sends to Israel. Palestinians, Americans in Marin deserve to feel safe, not know their neighbors chose to fund the murder of their relatives. The last few weeks of watching a genocide in real time has changed us. We will not forget, we will not stop demanding justice, and we will remember 
everybody that led to us as a county being complicit in this genocide and all of these deaths. It is entirely preventable and we can be a part of the change. We are giving money to the bombing of these children, these innocent families. We would never conflate terrorist groups with civilians here. If they bombed a hospital with my family, that would never be acceptable. Thank never. You. We're at time. Next speaker, please. Good morning. My name is Cecilia Avalar, and I'm speaking to you as an educator here in Marin County. Um, I also want to commend the board for recognizing Dr. Benita this morning. Um, I think we all spoke, or many people spoke about how she led with heart and with equity, and I'm turning that now onto you, Board of Supervisors, to also lead with heart and with equity. UNICEF recently called Gaza the most dangerous place to be a child, um, and our tax dollars directly fund that danger for children. So I'm the global is local, so I'm calling on you to adopt a ceasefire resolution. Those tax dollars could instead fund the lives of children here, the health and human services departments here in Marin County, um, and instead that money could be used to fund life and not destruction halfway across the world. So lead with equity, lead with heart, and call for an immediate and permanent ceasefire resolution here in Marin County. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Chen. Um, I was born and raised in China, but I grew up in Marin, and I urge the board to please adopt a permanent ceasefire resolution. Um, I'd like to bring specific attention to the statistical disproportion of deaths in regards to the Palest um, Palestinians. 70% um, are women, elderly, and children, 50% of which are children. Um, this is the most documented crime against humanity, and yet we, um, we are failing them um, by not doing enough. And it, you cannot call this a war because they don't have an army. And they, if you compare it to Ukraine, Iraq, and what the Syrian war, the casualties in children do not compare. Um, 500 children have died in 21 months in Ukraine. 3,000 died in 14 years in Iraq. 7,000 children you. died in seven Great weeks time. in Gaza. Thank you. Okay, one more speaker here, and then we'll go online. Hi, Eric, Katie, Stephanie, Dennis. Hey, Mary. My name's Mish. I'm a first-generation Jewish American. My family came here from Ukraine because of the rampant anti-Semitism that exists in Ukraine. I am grieving with and for Palestine. In just six weeks, Israel was able to drop over 22,000 U.S.-provided bombs on Gaza. That is the equivalent of two nuclear bombs. And the U.S. dollars, we are funding this. It is a genocide and ethnic cleansing and collective Jewish trauma is being used to enable this. Biden has already given Israel $14 billion and he's working with Congress to give them another $106 billion. Yet the U.S. has only given Palestine $100 million in humanitarian aid this year. And as of October 7th, over 17,000 Gazans have been killed by Israel. 25,000 are you. children. Thank you. time. We're at time. Thank you. We'll go online Thanks. now. Mm -hmm. The first speaker is Issa P. Please unmute. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm a resident of San Anselmo, and I'm just here to say that it is urgent that the council adopt and put forth a resolution for ceasefire now. Biden was quoted as saying, if Israel did not exist, the U.S. would have to invent one in order to keep our um, interest in the region current. 
And I think that is the only statement we need to listen to. Zionism is fascism. Zionism is, is an extension of the U.S.'s um, interests in the region. And what we need now is for the U.S. to end its accomplice, uh, its just support of what is just a genocide. One child every 10 minutes, unimaginable suffering. The only nation to vote against ceasefire is the U.S. And this is not a controversial opinion. Polls are saying that the majority of Americans support a ceasefire. In order to stop anti-Arab hate at home, it's important that our county stand true to its values and support ceasefire abroad. It's time for you to take a stand, use your power, don't let the Zionist lobby buy your vote. This is not controversy, this is popular opinion. Vote for ceasefire now. The next speaker is Seb, he, him, please unmute. Hi, I'm a lifelong resident. I live and work in Terra Linda. Um, I am here to speak today to ask you to use the platform that you have been given to, as was said before, lead with your heart and and listen to your constituents who are all asking for you to use your platform to call for a ceasefire, call for non-military aid, whatever is in your power, which you do have. You this. This is relevant to our county. Our tax dollars fund this, and disproportionately, Marin is extremely wealthy. Much of our money, particularly from this area, is going to fund this. It's not a war. It is an assault, a crime against humanity. Please use your platform to call for a ceasefire now. Thank you. The next speaker is Rebecca Collins. Please unmute. thank you to the Board of Supervisors. Um, children need clean water. They need good food. They need the warm arms of a mother and father. A safe place to learn to crawl, to talk, to walk, to run, to hop, to skip, to climb a tree, to follow a butterfly, to listen to birds, to watch clouds, to hold a sister's hand, to eat ice cream, to make a castle, to splash in the waves. This is not just a nice thing for children to do. This is how a child's brain properly develops. Without these types of activities, without feeling safe, the frontal lobes of the child's brain cannot develop properly. They are left with lifelong trauma. The children of Gaza need all the adults who are witnessing them to come together and make a permanent ceasefire happen. Thank you. The next speaker is Elias. Please unmute. Hi. Uh, I am a Palestinian Israeli citizen and resident of Marin County for 30 years. I support, I support a permanent ceasefire resolution um, by the Marin County Board of Supervisors. I would like to bring the Marin County Supervisors' attention to the fact that Palestinians living in Marin County live under a climate of fear that is fueled by the U.S.'s funding of <clears throat> Israeli war crimes. We have hundreds, maybe thousands of Palestinians here living in Marin County, many of whom are afraid to be here speaking right now. I myself am risking my citizenship, my ability to go to my home country by speaking right now. People don't understand this. Palestinians living in Marin County have been living in fear for decades, 
and you need to make a, a ceasefire resolution right now. The next speaker is Christina Amoroso. Please unmute. Hi, I'm a nurse at UCSF Medical Center and I live in Bolinas. Um, I've grown up in Marin and I also strongly support the Board of Supervisors passing a resolution for ceasefire. Anything that we can do to stop the senseless killing of people that cannot defend themselves and did nothing, nothing. And 60% of the, I heard 18,000 people have been killed in Palestine are women and children, children who have died most likely painfully. All of these people, bombs falling, shredding them apart, are dying painfully, and we are doing nothing but providing Israel with the warheads and funding them to do this. It is shocking that I cannot believe that the U.S. voted against that. And Marin County, please pass a measure, anything, any voices that we can add for a ceasefire is something that we can do. We have a little bit of power. Please, Board of Supervisors, please we're do this. We're at time. We're at time. Okay, we're coming back into the chambers now for the next five speakers. Hello, I've lived in San Rafael most of my life, and I echo the sentiments of those in front of me and online and behind me as well that I would ask the Board of Supervisors to propose and pass an immediate and permanent ceasefire agreement. The atrocities there cannot be overstated and I refuse to let my tax dollars and my county to be a part of the people that are helping to fund it and are standing by the wayside as it happens. I've heard it said that how we are acting now is how we would be acting in the Holocaust, and I refuse to be a bystander. Thank you so much. <clears throat> Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Crash. I was born and raised in Marin County. In fact, I went to high school just down the street. Um, I would ask the board to um, pass a permanent ceasefire resolution. There are atrocities being committed in Palestine that have only been echoed by genocides in the past. Um, many of the people killed are civilians. In fact, the majority are civilians. Um, sorry, got a public speaking. Um, in fact, in doctors from Doctors Without Borders have been killed. Many journalists have been killed. Many, 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 many non-combatants have been killed in this genocide. And I think you should Use your power to pass a resolution to put a stop to this. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker, please. Thank you. Um, I'm Ava Crisanti, and I write a lot about what local media doesn't report in this county. And so I've, recently I've been writing a lot about the Marin County response um, to the crisis, the, the ongoing crisis. Um, you can read more details about that at marincountyconfidential.substack.com. It's a totally free service. Um, I do want to point out that yesterday the Washington Post reported that white phosphorus, uh, the white phosphorus used on civilians by the Israeli military was proved to have come from the United States. As I always do, I beg the Board of Supervisors uh, to consider and pass a ceasefire resolution because it protects us. Uh, we are at serious risk of blowback, uh, both blowback um, in terms of 
physical threat, but also economic threat, um, economic retaliation, potential boycotts um, that the U.S. could withstand for its incredibly bizarre um, uh, ongoing funding of this genocide. Thank you. Okay. Hello, um, my name is Laura, and I'm a resident in District 2. Um, today I'm here to urge you to pass a ceasefire resolution, um, and I hope that you've heard all of the statistics and things that people have been bringing to you today. Today, I'd like to read you some words from people in Gaza. I pray that they can look at, at us as humans, not just political situations and political conflicts. We're humans. Two million people trapped with nowhere to go. We should be more valuable to the world than this. We have lives. We should be able to live our lives. This is a poem by someone who died recently in Gaza. If I die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings, make it white with a long tail. I won't be able to finish the poem, but I hope you look it up because it's very powerful. And please pass a ceasefire resolution. Thank you. Okay, one more speaker and then we'll go online. Thank you. Good morning, Board of Supervisors. My name is Joe McGarry and I live in Fairfax and I'm an organizer with Ceasefire Now Marin. Um, we will be resubmitting uh, the petition we sent you last week, later this week, as there are now close to 500 signatures of people in Marin calling for you to adopt the permanent ceasefire resolution. Um, today, uh, or yesterday, there were reports that come out that 25,000 children in Gaza have been orphaned. 20,000 Palestinians have been slaughtered. Um, 10,000 will soon hit about 10,000 of those being children. Nine out of 10 people in Gaza don't eat every day. How much more punishment of civilians is enough? I ask you to put Marin County on the right side of history and I urge you to bring forward and adopt a ceasefire resolution. Okay, uh, we're gonna go online now. We have four speakers remaining. The first speaker is Lori Dovin, please unmute. Good morning, I'm Lori Dubin, and I've lived in Larkspur for 25 years. We've raised three children here, and our family is hoping that this board will not consider a resolution on the Middle East. We have mourned too many deaths since October 7th. It's been a devastating period for our Jewish community, and we've also been heartbroken over the devastation of Gaza and the deaths of Palestinians. But as Golda Meir, Israel's former prime minister, said in 1969, when peace comes, we will perhaps in time be able to forgive the Arabs for killing our children, but it will be harder for us to forgive them for forcing us to kill theirs. Over 50 years later, Israel is again being forced to defend itself against jihadist groups who use their own people as human shields and block their citizens from leaving when Israel gives them advance warning. Repeating falsehoods of genocide, apartheid, and ethnic cleansing over and over again does not make them tr true. Thank you. The next speaker is Maggie. Please unmute. 
Good morning. I am Maggie Dawes. I am a former San Rafael City Schools public teacher. Um, and in the spirit of coming together rather than living in dis divisiveness, I want to please, please, please for the children who are being murdered and slaughtered and disfigured, ask the Board of Supervisor to pass, pro propose and pass a permanent resolution. Um, you know, an eye for an eye makes us all blind. That's what Gandhi said. And I hear that many of our Jewish friends are very, very afraid right now, but I think they need to examine their faith. Thank you very much. The next speaker is Susan Hopp. Please unmute. Yes, uh, good morning, supervisors. Yes, um, these statistics are just so shocking. Over 20,000 civilians slaughtered, 87 journalists killed, records set for the number of hospitals bombed and destroyed, the number of aid workers killed, and then the disease that is rampant. This is not the time to be timid, nor to allow or tolerate what Hannah Arendt termed the banality of evil. We in Marin County can at the very least not look away from this evil, insane slaughter perpetrated and enabled by our country. We can state our horror through calling for a ceasefire now. Thank you. The next speaker is Nathan Derwood. Please unmute. Hello, my name is Nathan Derwood. Um, longtime resident of Marin. Marin's long taught its children's schools, particularly its large, given its large Jewish population, the horrors of the Holocaust. And right now, in Gaza, indiscriminate and deliberate slaughter of Gaza children. Mr. Darwin, we lost your audio. Oh, can you hear me? We can hear you now. Okay. I was saying that the, uh, yeah, we've long professed the horrors of the Holocaust and have taught our children to find it horrifying and to act against it. And I think in order to sh prove whether or not those statements were hollow or true, we have to consistently apply those values to now, where genocide is occurring on it, like the largest open-air prison on the planet. And if we wish to walk to walk, the bare minimum we can do, give being the country that's supplying with all of Israel's weapons, is to pass a ceasefire resolution. Thank you. President Milton Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, we're going to come back to the chambers for the last two speakers. Three. Hello, my name is Pat Murphy from Terra Linda. Thanks for having me today. Um, I'm here today, supervisors, to plead to you to pass a permanent ceasefire resolution. Over 15,000 Palestinians have died since October 7th. Many are women or children. And as Joe said, 25,000 Palestinian children are orphans now as a result of the mass indiscriminate bombing campaign by Israel. The Palestinian people not only have Israel's constant bombing threatening their lives each and every day, but now starvation, dehydration, lack of shelter, lack of proper sanitation, and dead bodies rotting in the rubble, all leading to disease and death. 
with the bombing of so many hospitals and the lack of medical aid and basic necessities being allowed in Gaza, so many, Palestinian, so many more Palestinian lives will die. There are no easy solutions to this longstanding conflict between Palestine and Israel, and that's not for us to figure out. Thank you, we're at time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Next speaker, please. Hi. My name is Nicole, and I'm a Palestinian American living in Nevada. And when I saw the photos yesterday of men being kidnapped, stripped of their clothes, blindfolded, and bound, and paraded around, it reminded me of when they did this to my own great-grandfather in a town called Ramla, which is now part of Tel Aviv. But to be more recent, there's a short story I want to share of something that happened only yesterday. The IDF committed a military raid of a UN school where thousands were displaced. A child was shot by the IDF, filmed briefly as getting help, and then when the cameras were turned off, forced to bleed out as people watched. They then kidnapped dozens of Palestinian civilians for use as human shields, something the USA and Israel falsely accuses Palestinians of doing. There was a story of a child as young as 15 being forced to wear an explosive vest and enter tunnels before the IDF. That all happened yesterday. Each day, things like this happen, and we need to call for a ceasefire today, showing we don't support that. Hello, my name is Ace Thelen. I live in Fort Knowles. I spoke here a couple weeks ago uh, about the um, colonial roots of Israel as a state. Uh, creating a majority Jewish democratic state in a majority Arab country has always been the fundamental contradiction to Zionism. Um, so in 1948, uh, the UN, which is what Israel claims its legitimacy from, uh, partitioned historic Palestine. Um, the partition never went into effect. Uh, Israel took 78% of the land, uh, killed 15,000 Palestinians, and displaced half the population, 750,000 Palestinians. That historic crime has never been addressed. So it's continued for 75 years. Um, and Israel is an apartheid state. Uh, we need a one-state solution in Palestine. And to start that, we need an immediate ceasefire. Thank you. OK, with that, I'm going to uh, close public uh, open time. Thanks, everyone, for remaining civil. We're going to take a two-minute break to uh, let people leave the chambers before we finish, uh, continue on with our business. Thank you. I not ignore people on Zoom. You know, their hand came up too late, and I closed public comment. I'm sorry. Okay, we're going to close this. Oh, good heavens.
Okay, everyone, I'm going to call our meeting back to order now. And we are on uh, agenda item number three. This is Board of Supervisor Matters and informational updates, as well as the County Administrator's report. So, uh, Supervisor Rodoni, would you like to start? Yeah, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Just a couple small announcements. Um, I've been to a couple toy giveaway events, and I just wanted to mention them, and then one that's coming up Saturday. The uh, Center for Independent Living in Matrix, their Sonoma County equivalent, had a nice event, a present giveaway for disabled children and families in Petaluma on Saturday, December 2nd, and I was able to attend that with my grandson, uh, including Santa in a horse-drawn carriage, so it was kind of a fun event. And then Parent Voices last Saturday had a Christmas present giveaway for 35 families at the parking lot of Center for Domestic Peace. And again, Santa was there with the Santa Fe Fire Department, and the event was supported by Santa Fe Santa Cop. So I want to thank them. And then next Saturday, the Voices of the Canal will have an annual uh, present giveaway in the canal. Uh, they're still looking for donations. If anyone's uh, thinking of somewhere to donate to, um, they would welcome those. And then I want to adjourn in memory of Jane Garfield Livingston, who passed away at her home in Corte Madera at the age of 93. She was active in San Quentin Prison, educating inmates, and in Corte Madera politics. She left a message on her fridge for her family, uh, and it said, who will take care of the world when I'm gone? Uh, so quite a, quite a question she left us all. So thank you. Supervisor Sackett. Yeah, just quickly, I want to second Supervisor Radoni's plug for the Vosis Day Canal um, event. It's always a really neat event, an opportunity to engage with the community with gifts. I had the opportunity to spend Saturday with Homeward Bound um, unpackaging and matching up clothes for um, folks in all of our shelters, and um, it was a really um, nice opportunity with seven or eight of us to just... Um, share our gratitude and be thankful and um, share a little joy. Thank you. Uh, yeah, just real quick, uh, last Wednesday, along with Supervisor Sackett, some members of my team and some folks from the county, we got to celebrate with the Marin Foster Care Association on the ribbon cutting of their new 10-unit uh, um, uh, uh, building in Novato um, that they are going to be making available through, uh, for aging out foster youth. That was a project that was supported through our housing trust fund here at the county. Marin Community Foundation, City of Novato is just a really wonderful uh, ribbon cutting. We got to go and tour one of the units uh, that has recently been furnished by Make It Home another great local nonprofit, uh, and great to see these units coming online uh, to support our aging out foster youth. Uh, and then secondly, I would like to request that we adjourn in memory of Nick Zoli. Uh, Nick um, uh, unexpectedly passed away after recently retiring from uh, the Nevada Police Department as a police corporal. Uh, he spent 16 years in a, as an officer, a corporal, a field training officer, a peer support team member, and a mental health liaison. In 2019, he received the Medal of Merit Award after talking to a suicidal individual off an overpass in Novato, and uh, our hearts go out to uh, um, uh, the family and those around uh, Nick on his unexpected passing. Okay, nothing for me today. We'll go to our county administrator. Good morning, supervisors. Just briefly, I wanted to point out a few amendments to our agenda. Um, three items are going to be removed um, in the housing authority. Uh, it's the closed session item, 13A, as well as 13G. 
And then on your consent calendar A, the sheriff has requested we remove item CA12. Um, and then I also wanted to point out as our, uh, that we have updated three items on our agenda, and they include item 12E, uh, consent item CA7E, and item 10D. And that's my report. Hey, would you mind um, going over those changes to the agenda again? Sure. So we're removing two items from the afternoon session of the Housing Authority. The first one is 13A. And then the second one is 13G. And then on consent calendar A, we're removing item CA12. So those are the complete removals from the agenda. And then I was just pointing out that we have updated some existing items, which include 12E, CA7E, and 10D. And those are all posted online and updated online. I just wanted to point it out for folks. Okay. Thank Very you. good. Thank you. Uh, we'll open to public comment now. That you received uh, an email from me last week um, regarding uh, Curtis Aiken's role um, within the county as an appointee, both on Sheriff's Civilian Oversight Working Group. He's also uh, been serving on the HRC. Um, I want to correct some information. Um, Curtis Aikens uh, did not disclose that his son uh, is a law enforcement officer. He did not disclose that until uh, June of this year. He had been appointed to multiple boards and commissions in that capacity. He defended law enforcement and he defended it against questions about what was happening, especially in the county with regard to the county jail. Um, I do want to correct uh, uh, something I wrote. Um, I said that Curtis Aiken's son, I correctly called that Curtis Aiken's son had been an officer with San Francisco Police Department. I was incorrect in saying that he had moved on to San Francisco Sheriff rather than Sonoma County Sheriff. And that is a very important distinction because it turns out that um, Curtis Aiken's son, uh, while in the employ of Sonoma County Sheriff, was involved in a very serious use, use of force incident. Uh, and that was not disclosed to anyone. What's unbelievable to me is that no one on Sheriff Civilian Oversight, that incredibly secretive and conflict of interest laden group, knew about that. Uh, because you also had Heidi Merchant um, on that group. And Heidi uh, was not only a sheriff deputy, undisclosed to the public, by the way, not only a sheriff deputy here in Marin County and in Sonoma County, but she is married to the assistant sheriff of Sonoma County. I mean, it's, it's, you know, that whole Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group was a disaster. It, it did nothing but provide cover for the additional $3 million to the sheriff. So I really ask that you review the entire package and start over. Thank you. Okay, seeing no more speakers in the chambers, we'll go online. I see one hand. The first speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. I want to add to everything that um, uh, Ms. Crisanti said, and, and that is the lack of transparency with the Human Rights Commission. Uh, you have uh, commissioners who basically don't participate in any community events. You have a, a, a nun who doesn't uh, go to any place. You have a, a resident from um, Marin City who doesn't want to um, 
be chair of, of the commission because um, because there's so many absences. You have a, a chair of um, uh, the present chair who is up for uh, well, they're going to elect a new uh, a, a new uh, chair. But right now, the last two months they have not had a meeting. So in other words, their performance is horrible. They hard, they hardly have any meetings. They don't follow their own bylaws. They don't have the, their annual report. They do zero. Uh, so in a way, um, they're not vetted. You you don't vet them. You you just get them in there, and they they can stay there forever. And the less that they do, is the better they are. They don't go to the Dolores Huerta um, event. They don't go to the. Uh, they don't pass a Palestine resolution. Uh, you just don't see them. In other words, um, they. You know, the, the less you see of them, the better. But you, you use them. You use them to actually uh, rubber stamp any kind of uh, uh, some kind of a program, like uh, especially with the police uh, a police action, like 1187. Um, you have a Heidi Merchant who um, who doesn't do anything in her own county. She has a county job in Napa and she doesn't do anything. She doesn't, uh, they don't have a human rights commission. They don't, uh, she doesn't do anything for in Sonoma where her husband works, but she's very available for Marin to tell us what to do. President Moldpeters, there are no additional speakers. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll bring it back and close. I move consent calendar A less CA 12. Uh, Second. Okay, very good. I uh, Before we vote on that, um, I'd like to pull CA-8, and this is from Human Resources. It's a resolution to recognize the 2023 Marin County Employee of the Year class. Uh, and so I, uh, I can go ahead and read the names on that. Great. All right. So I want to acknowledge all the employees who've received awards th this year for the 2023 Employee Year of the Year. And they include Dan Walters, Agricultural Weights and Measures, Martha Martinez, UC Cooperative Extension, Marin, Emily Bozard, Assessor, Recorder, County Clerk, Stephanie Reed, Child Support Services, Genevieve Han Care, Community Development Agency, Josh Swedberg of the County Administrator's Office, Rachel Porter, County Council, Marlene Heights, Cultural Services, Tony Aquilino, Elections, Bevan Gardner of Finance, Marshall Briggs, Public Works, Rob Carson, Public Works, Rosemary Sloat, District Attorney's Office, Pat uh, Terstegi of Fire Department, Sarah Givens, Health and Human Services, Chris, Krista Hopper Pasillas, Health and Human Services, Juan Jimenez, Health and Human Services, Vicki Nightingale, Health and Human Services, Tara Clark, Human Resources, Devin Mitchell, Information Services and Technology, Ann Bertucci, Library, Craig, Craig Richardson, Parks, Karen Brand, Public Defender, and Michael Thompson, Sheriff's Office. Congratulations to everyone. And with that, uh, we'll take public comment on consent A, if there is any. Okay, I'm not seeing anybody in the chambers, and I'm not seeing anybody online. We'll bring it back. We've had a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Okay, consent B. Would somebody move B if there's no changes? I'll move consent. 
I'll move consent B. Is there a second? Second, thank you. Is there any public comment on this item? I just want to recognize how little discussion there was on uh, amongst the supervisors on this consent uh, CB4 and CB12. Um, and I don't know if those are items that, that Matthew pulled, um, but those are pretty serious um, issues. Uh, one, the first was with uh, Sheriff Justice Benefits um, for um, funding um, for housing incarcerated undocumented criminal aliens. Um, and then, and then the, the, the other issue is probation um, to increase baseline appropriations by 1.730 million. Um, and I, I just, I think unfortunately, we're not really looking at how much law enforcement is actually growing. And it's a little alarming when you see the bread lines, uh, the, the lines to get into the food banks in this county, that you guys are giving ever more money to um, law enforcement, and then you see uh, how bulked up. I was really surprised when you did the probation um, presentation to see how probation is actually dressed. Um, like, you know, a lot of heavy, you know, armor and stuff. It just seemed odd. Um, so I think, you know, maybe what needs to go on this on the agenda for next year is a serious discussion about the proportion of money that uh, is going into additional law enforcement services, overtime, benefits, yada, yada, versus actually getting food on the tables of the poor in this county because those, um, you know, those, um, those lines are severe. And I know um, Katie was concerned in that private meeting about um, people not getting benefits and um, that, that's gotta be a priority as winter's coming. Thank you. Okay, we'll close public comment in the chambers. I'm not seeing anyone online, so we'll bring it back now for a vote. Uh, did we do a motion second? Sorry, folks. I moved it. Yeah, and you. Okay, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. All right, passes, and we'll go on to our next agenda item. Okay, thank you, Rose. Good morning, board members. Dan Eilerman, Assistant County Executive. Um, and while some colleagues are joining me here, I wanted to know for Al that we have a presentation, um, if you could load that. But uh, sitting to my left, we have Gary Najaris, um, Director of uh, Whole Person Care and Homelessness with Health and Human Services, and to my right, is Deputy Michael Thompson with the Marin County Sheriff's Office. And behind Deputy Thompson is Greg Puri, um, who is the Deputy um, Health Director or Deputy EHS Director in Community Development. And so Al, if you're able, thank you, um, bringing up the PowerPoint. Um, I'm gonna start off and um, we'll have some um, opportunity for questions at the end. But uh, next slide, please, Al. Um, you'll recall that we provided an initial update to your board on August 22nd. Uh, it's about 101 days actually um, from today, um, actually from December 1st when our metrics really stopped. Um, we promised at that time to provide an update to your board every three to six months with an initial goal to facilitate and to accelerate um, intermediate term options while making visible short term progress. 
this is largely funded with a one point six million dollars state encampment resolution fund grants that the county received which requires us to resolve the encampment within a period of three years but we are accelerating that effort as best as we can and what you see there are some general guidelines that we've been operating with you know for these past hundred or so days what we want to do is to identify safe permanent housing destinations for all individuals no relocation of occupants in need to other jurisdictions we want to protect the sensitive habitat of the Rush Creek Preserve and SLU and um, we also want to continue with enforcement compliant with all legal and regulatory um, requirements so next slide please and our goals as we outlined in August were to achieve a 50% reduction in um, the population via housing um, you know or through incentives um, by August 2025 and 100% by August of 2026 which represents that three-year period and we had organized our um, strategies into three broad um, and concurrent strategies. One is supportive services, that's led by Health and Human Services. Enforcement and regulation, which is a team effort, um, probably led most by the Marin County Sheriff's Office, and then um, environmental protection, another team effort, but uh, led, led principally by the Community Development Agency, and particularly environmental health services staff. So next slide, please. Um, this briefly outlines uh, the at least six departments um, that have been coordinating for the past 100 days on this project. Of course, Health and Human Services, the Sheriff's Office, Public Works, Community Development, uh, the County Administrator's Office, and um, County Council, of course. And I think last week we actually had uh, Marin County Fire pitch in um, for some additional work. So um, the effort is growing. Next slide, please. So um, approximately 100 days later, we do have some um, achievements um, to articulate. There is work to do, but in those first 100 days, um, Health and Human Services identified all individuals at the encampment. 69% of them have been assessed for coordinated entry. Uh, we've launched the ERF grant that I mentioned um, that supplies additional staffing, client supports, and cleanup. We've hired a new dedicated senior social services worker with a focus on Binford. She actually just started yesterday. Um, and then the Sheriff's Office has inventoried all vehicles, not just RVs, and we'll speak to that in just a moment. And we've implemented bi-weekly recreational vehicle or RV pump outs, um, as well as um, installing additional portable restrooms and hand washing stations, stations roughly every 10 RVs. Um, next slide, please. Um, Again, continuing with some more um, um, accomplishments or progress, we have established a new 35 mile per hour speed limit, effective December 28th, so Public Works will be working on installing those signs. I think the Sheriff's Office will probably start with more of an educational campaign, but the effort is to lower the speed um, for what is right now a 55 mile an hour um, um, road. We will continue enforcement to remove non-occupied vehicles in the right of way, considered abandoned, excess, or non-compliant. Um, enforcement will continue to ensure no new arrivals not in accord with ordinances or regulations and that includes new restrictions such as fencing at vacated spaces as we achieve progress um, either through incentives um, for um, folks who um, move on um, you know or placing people in um, safe housing and we'll also be talking today about a couple of new um, authorities that we've asked your board to adopt um, one is a new pilot vehicle buyback incentives program and um, Gary will walk through that in a couple of minutes. And by virtue of adoption of your consent calendar today, your board approved a no overnight parking um, resolution. We will initially enforce that on the business side or the west side of Binford Road. And um, we will come back to your board um, in coming weeks um, 
and uh, move that onto the uh, west side or yeah the east side of the road as well um, once we vacate some more spaces. So next slide, please. Um, the population of individuals at December 1st, that's kind of our um, point in time um, where we marked our metrics, was 101 individuals. Um, some have simply been harder to reach, um, and HHS has uh, put in a lot of effort the last couple of months to do extended outreach um, on evenings, on weekends. Um, a number of people work, and so if you're there at, say, 2 p.m., um, the population's lighter, but if you're there at 5.30 or 6, people are coming back from work and there's more people there. But uh, we've identified those people, um, some of whom were doubled up or just hard to find for various reasons, um, and that's been reconciled after that extended outreach. 85% um, qualify for permanent supportive housing um, through coordinated entry. That's more than we initially expected, so that's a, a larger subset of that population than we initially expected. Um, but the good news is 10 have been housed, 10 individuals have been housed since August. Three through permanent supportive housing, five through the CalWORKs Rapid Rehousing Program, and um, two additionals via other means. And then we have a ni 19 more folks on a pathway to housing. So that's some um, pretty visible progress in just this first 100 days. Um, next slide, please. Before I turn it over to um, Gary, in terms of vehicles, we have 132 vehicles there as of December 1st. Um, that includes 57 RVs, but also 75 other types of vehicles. So this includes everything from RVs to cars, trucks, vans, motorcycles, um, even utility and boat trailers, for example. So the sheriff has a really good handle and inventory on what vehicles are there and have been there. And the sheriff's office has been able to remove 18 vehicles, um, unoccupied vehicles, including five RVs, nine vehicles, three trailers, and one sailboat. Um, and their expectation is that uh, they'll be able to remove one additional unoccupied RV per week until all that are abandoned or considered excess are removed. So with that as kind of a brief introduction, I do want to turn it over to Gary Najaris, um, our Director of Homelessness and Whole Person Care at HHS, and he will talk about the first of the three strategies I outlined earlier, which includes now supportive services. So next slide, please. Thank you. So we can move to the next slide. And first, I just want to start by saying thank you to the Board of Supervisors for their leadership um, in helping to address Binford, um, especially Supervisor Lucan. And uh, a thank you to all the other departments um, who have come together. Um, we at Health and Human Services greatly appreciate the collaboration and coordination um, with our fellow departments, and it truly has made a difference at Binford. Um, and finally, I want to thank our team in the Division of Homelessness and Whole Person Care, a number of whom are here with us today, um, and their work from financing and grants to programs and other supports, um, ensuring that uh, everything that we can possibly do through our division is being done. And I especially want to point out uh, Sarasa Barber um, from our team who has been serving. <laughs> who's been serving as our lead point person at Binford um, and doing an incredible job uh, to get everything from the ERF stood up um, to all these initial successes um, and devel the development and expansion of our Binford service fair. So an enormous appreciation. Also to, um, as you see on the slide, our community partners, um, 
specifically through downtown streets who have uh, hired two new outreach workers and a case manager uh, under the ERF project and our continued partnership with Community Action Marin and their efforts up there as well. And welcoming to our division, um, Andrea O'Malley, who's with us also here this morning as our new Binford Point person and staff member um, joining to be the, the coordination for everything happening up there at Binford. Um, as well, through our partners, we've expanded hours of outreach um, through uh, their being there evenings and weekends, and also finally appreciation to all of our HHS divisions who stood up in a rapid response effort during October and November to assure that we reached 100% of all residents um, who live at Binford. And again, uh, the incredible work of so many county and community partners at the weekly, uh, or monthly, sorry, Binford uh, Service Support Fair, which provides essential medical um, harm reduction services, uh, clean slate, um, food, water, um, and uh, all of our social services, uh, and uh, even things through the Humane Society. So um, caring for our residents up there um, with their day-to-day -day needs. Next slide. Um, I wanted to especially point out and thank Department of Public Works, a community development agency, um, our community agencies um, and division staff who helped um, organize cleanup efforts uh, at Binford. You can see with these slides some of the distinct differences that have been made uh, in how the road looks currently. Next slide. And uh, referring back to the numbers that Dan was talking about earlier. So the number of clients who have been assessed for our coordinated entry system, we gave you a midpoint here, um, as well as the current um, since the last August update. So in October, we were at about 64 um, folks assessed, uh, and now we are up to that 69 number uh, and continue to make progress with that through our uh, community partners. Next slide. Um, and the number of clients uh, engaged. This means, you know, do we know everyone who's up there? Have we met everyone? So as you can see, um, at that midpoint, uh, as of October 1st, there were still about 35 clients uh, for us to meet. And through that coordinated effort that happened across HHS divisions and our community partners, we were able to reach all 101 uh, by today. And next slide. And then finally, um, diving in a little bit to our uh, exits uh, from Binford and housing successes. So five individuals have been housed through a partnership with our social services division under a, a program called CalWORKS, um, which focuses on families. Uh, three, through our permanent supportive housing system through coordinated entry. Uh, three individuals um, have left Binford on their own, which sometimes happens with encampments and two uh, have been housed in other ways or um, have found connections themselves through family or friends for a permanent housing destination. Next slide. So what we're proposing to your board today is a new incentive to uh, continue to help accelerate transition, similar to a model that was used with the Richardson Bay Regional Authority, um, is a pilot buyback program. So for eligibility for that program, individuals will have to be present on Binford as of or before October 1st uh, this year. Um, the highest priority will be on occupied vehicles, whether that be RVs or some other type of occupied vehicle that a person is living in um, at $175 per linear foot. Um, and um, part of that eligibility will be the individual documenting that they're exiting to a permanent housing destination. Um, 
this can apply to additional vehicles that a person owns as well, but priorities will be on the vehicle that they're living in. And again, you know, as we talked about back in August, sometimes, you know, when folks become unhoused, and we told, all, you know, a few of those stories and circumstances back in August, sometimes their RV and their, their vehicles are the final things, you know, besides personal possessions that they possess. Um, and as they go back into a permanent housing destination, being able to convert, you know, some of those possessions um, that may not be needed anymore into supports um, to assist them with their housing and securing that housing destination can be of great value. Um, second priority uh, at $50 per linear foot will be um, some of those other vehicles that Dan talked about, things like maybe trailers or boats um, that folks may have up there as well. Next slide. And the second part of our incentives program, which we believe we, we have the um, eligibility and authority to already do, but we're gonna be using the same fund for uh, are some temporary supports really to assist, um, again, individuals with anything they might need in that transition to a permanent housing destination. So again, the eligibility is that they're present on Binford as of or before October 1st. Um, again, you need to have a permanent housing destination identified uh, and exit date, and this is limited term assistance. It can include, you know, thing, for example, vehicle and repair maintenance, transportation, et cetera, any um, small expenses that might be standing in the way of a person successfully transitioning. Um, and um, that uh, th there's uh, abidance by all the uh, county vehicle codes and regulations uh, for all the eligibility program. And finally, on the next slide, we uh, propose that this be administered through a third-party fiscal agent, similar to how these programs have run before, um, to facilitate the speed of doing this and really not hold folks up in this. This really simplifies the process and expedites the administration of it. It allows our department to respond quickly. Um, there's really a nominal administrative fee, and it, there is a precedent that this has worked well before in other circumstances. So back to Dan. Um, thank you. Next slide, please. Um, so I will move into enforcement and um, regulation. First, I want to thank Gary and his team for all the effort, the stepped-up outreach. It's really made a difference. And I also want to thank the Sheriff's Office. Deputy Mike Thompson has um, just been a hero, um, you know, working full-time um, on that beat for the past year, developing a lot of relationships and uh, being a part of us making connections with um, those folks. Um, so enforcement and regulation is... Um, you know, really a combination of several departments. It's the sheriff, it's CDA, it's DPW, it's county council, HHS, and the county administrator's office all working together. As I mentioned, um, Deputy Thompson's out there um, every day, full time, you know, conducting daily patrols, um, taking a regular census, you know, weekly tagging of non-operable vehicles, um, and weekly removing previously tagged vehicles and other debris. Next slide, please. Um, this is a quick chart that illustrates um, the 18 vehicles that were removed um, that I mentioned earlier. You can see that nine of them were um, cars or trucks, five were RVs, three were trailers, and there's one additional vehicle. And the sheriff anticipates to continue removing um, at least one vehicle um, per week as we go forward that is unoccupied and um, otherwise not compliant with California Vehicle Code or county regulations. Um, next slide, please. This is a quick chart that shows, um, you know, some of the trending on vehicles. So um, we go back to about 160 vehicles. Um, I think back on October 1st, when our enforcement program really kicked into high gear, 
And that's after we did an extensive amount of work developing uh, possessions, storage um, protocols, um, noticing protocols, and came up with a program um, that we felt was um, sustainable. And so those vehicles have been reduced to about 132. And it's been a mix of you know lived-in vehicles through um, success or folks leaving, um, vehicles that are considered daily drivers, and kind of other types of vehicles. Um, next slide, please. Um, to illustrate some of the success we're talking about, it's really important, one of the lessons learned from the Richards Bay Regional Agency um, was ensuring that we don't have backfill when we do have success, whether it's either through removing unoccupied vehicles or you know, finding safe housing for um, individuals. But uh, what you see on the left there is an example of some of the fencing that is put up in um, vacated areas. And behind that, uh, that concrete bar is called K-Rail. And so um, a combination of K-Rail, concrete bars, and in some cases, berms. You can see that a little bit in the photo to the right. So you see a couple of vacated spaces there with fencing um, that um, inhibits anybody from coming to reoccupy that space. And kind of to the right of that small truck, you see an example of a berm. So we are transitioning from kind of those earthen berms to more of the um, um, sustainable fencing, um, given the coming winter season. But uh, that's one example of some of our progress. Um, next slide, please. Um, and that's a, another example of, you know, more of the fencing in a different area. So, um, you know, as we achieve success, that is our primary goal to coordinate as a team and to ensure that once a vehicle is removed, the fencing is put in um, right afterward. Um, next slide, please. So um, in terms of next uh, steps, uh, your board today on the consent calendar again under public works, um, you adopted a new overnight parking um, regulation. So from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m., this will be initially on the business side of Benford Road. Um, that's to achieve more turnover and to ensure parking for the business employees. And staff plans to return in coming weeks, um, potentially a couple of months, um, with some additional measures to address other community business environmental concerns as more spaces are vacated. And those will probably be focused on the east side, on the water side. We want to achieve some more success, some more vacated spaces along that east side of the corridor. Uh, before we start putting up the no overnight parking signs. Um, and again, as well as we vacate um, spaces, putting up more fencing. So um, our principal goal is to ensure no new arrivals to the corridor that are not in accord with county ordinances or state vehicle code regulations. And we'll continue removing unoccupied vehicles in the right of way that are considered abandoned, excess, or non-compliant. Um, so next slide. So I'm going to transition here uh, to cover environmental protection, the third of our three strategies. Um, uh, Sarah Jones wanted to be here today. She is in our department um, head interview panel. Um, and so Greg Preary um, from uh, Environmental Health Services is here with us today. Um, but I also want to commend, commend CDA for really stepping up. Um, so they're not only involved with um, the environmental preservation aspect, um, but they've been heavily involved in helping us to set up the protocols around um, noticing um, personal possession storage and protocols, identifying personal possessions and methods of retrieve them, retrieving them when necessary. So to the left, you'll see an example. Um, that's uh, Knoxfield Airport in the back, but an example of the environment that uh, we want to make sure we protect. Um, to the bottom right is a picture, I believe that's from May of 2023, an example of what we're trying to mitigate with a lot of these efforts that we've been talking about. So next slide, please. 
We have established um, pump out services for 19 of the 57 recreational vehicles so far. Um, we want to see that increase. Um, CDA, Environmental Health Services, has assessed um, the RVs out there. Some RVs are simply not suitable for the service. Um, it would be dangerous or um, create more damage um, to do uh, pump out services for those RVs. Some are vacant and others have been non-responsive to surveys. And um, for those, we are exploring other enforcement um, options with um, community development and with county council, which could include, for example, decommissioning some of those uh, toilet facilities that are not working in those RVs. But uh, that is a, a continuing effort. We've also installed additional sanitary stations, uh, total of 12, you know, one restroom, one hand washing station, roughly every 10 RVs. And as I mentioned, we've been installing fencing. Um, so next slide, please. So again, um, 19 out of 57 RVs being pumped out thus far. This is a uh, picture of a, um, a contractor um, doing a pump out service for an RV. Um, next slide, please. This is a picture of um, new sanitary stations being dropped in. And you can see kind of in the middle to the right there are a hand washing station. So again, roughly one of these every 10 RVs. Um, then next slide, please. This will be an example. Yeah, next slide, please. Thank you. Uh, an example of the fencing that you see along the water. Um, you know, it's one of the big areas, and we're doing more of this. And you know, one of the goals is, you know, as wind blows things around, trying to inhibit it from blowing into the water, um, and also just otherwise trying to mitigate any environmental damage. And so then next steps, and we're coming up to the end here. So environmental protection, we want to increase pump-out services wherever feasible. We are exploring enforcement to decommission some of those toilets that are not suitable for pump-out services. Um, we want to consider potentially some supports for basic sanitary repairs to make some of those RVs um, suitable for um, pump-out services. We want to enhance and continue to maintain those sanitary stations and explore um, new restrictions such as fencing where spaces are vacated, either due to enforcement or um, placement of folks into safe housing. So um, final slide, please. Um, we do know there's a lot of work to do. Um, you know, there has been some visible progress and particularly the last 100 days. Um, Staff are really coming together. I really want to thank all the departments who have been a big part of this effort. Um, it really has been a big lift. Um, everybody's really committed, though. And um, there are additional ideas that we're thinking of as we go forward. But uh, at this time, we're open to any questions your board might have. Thank you, everyone, for the report. Are there any questions that we're going to have? Mary, I see your light on. Two quick questions. Thank you. Um, for, so. It shows the, or this report gives us the vehicle buyback program, how that is, how the owner of the vehicle is compensated. How are we funding the actual disposal? Is that on us or is there another funding source to, I, I, I noticed that it, it was like, we don't want to keep these in circulation. Um, so I'm just wondering how that's being funded. Right, that's a good point, Supervisor. So, yeah, one of our efforts to ensure, uh, just like with our BRA, that if we buy back a vessel, it doesn't end up back in the same place. So anybody who participates has to sign a legal binding agreement that uh, they will otherwise abide by all California Vehicle Code and county ordinances. Um, and yes, that's probably going to be the case in most of these cases where um, we will pursue um, destruction of the vehicle. You know, that would be an additive cost, you know, to the actual incentive. We have $100,000 available for the incentive program. 
But um, at the end of the day, it's probably going to be more cost effective to have people voluntarily turn in a vehicle, and then you know we will decommission it to ensure it doesn't return to the site or another site. Okay, and then the Marin Link piece I think makes sense. Do we does does county staff retain the discretion of who gets that funding, or is that decision making? Does that also go with the funds to Marin Link? I'll let Gary chime in if he wants to add, but uh, yeah, the Director of Health and Human Services has the discretion. Um, the way the policy is written, um, we have a preference for recreational vehicles and for lived-in vehicles for folks who have a identified housing destination. Um, but then the second priority is a registered vehicle. It could be a second or third vehicle, for example. But the director of HHS or designee will have the ability to um, evaluate those options. I think from what we've heard, there is interest in the program. And so if it's effective uh, immediately tomorrow, um, we anticipate getting some interest relatively early. But the director will have the ability to make those prioritizations. And I think we'll probably work with a team, you know, in county council regarding individual buyback agreements as some situations may be different than others. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the uh, update. Really exciting to see what's happening up there um, and improvements. Wondering about the pilot buyback program. Um, it seems like such an important tool. I know this is focused on Binford, but I'm sure Mike might like, like to have this tool in his tool chest for other places too. So I'd hope you take a look at that or see if there's opportunity there to, to have that uh, in our toolbox for other uses. And then on slide 15, um, the October 1st date, I know that's probably something you've already established, but with the new information, the new December 1 information, is there any reason to change that date of eligibility based on that? Uh, that is a great qu question and thank you. We um, believe that we have full knowledge of all 101 individuals who are th there as of October 1st, so that, that date makes the most sense. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and Supervisor, I, I think I would add to that. Um, yeah, the December 1 count we're confident in, the October 1 count we're confident in, but um, I think the reason we've chosen October 1 is so that we can ensure that we're dealing with vehicles who were there, um, and so not in any way incentivizing any newer vehicles to arrive. So the sheriff will have a very good and solid inventory you know, on those vehicles to ensure they're applicable. Uh, I just I just want to quickly commend the team and all the work that you're doing at, at Binford across all different departments. Um, this is really exciting progress that we've made to date, uh, housing 10 individuals in just the past month uh, or so, which is I think what our team normally houses countywide. So to, to do in addition to that, 10 from Binford is, is really remarkable. Uh, and just the, the tenor and the relationship we've had with the individuals that we're serving out there is so key to this work. Um, they, uh, individuals we are serving might not love everything we're doing out there, um, but they, they, don't, they don't hate it, they're not pushing back, there's a really good relationship that has been built and that's really a credit to the whole team here on this. Um, just one, one question um, with regards to the pump out services, it's great to see uh, 19 of 57 that we've, we've gotten to. Granted, we're never gonna get to 57 of 57 because of the points that you, you mentioned there. Um, what would be some realistic goals over the next you know, few months in terms of um, either decommissioning additional ones or getting the ones that are eligible for pump out to pump out? Is it gonna be kind of slow moving from here? Maybe just a goal we can put out for ourselves. Or, um, you know, I'll see if Greg has anything to add, but um, definitely we wanna increase that number of uh, vehicles being pumped out. Um, 
you know, in some cases, we expect some of them may um, move away, um, you know, via successes and other um, ways. But uh, I would like to see us within, you know, the next three months having a solid plan for, um, you know, if uh, vehicles are not um, being um, cooperative with attempts to um, assess, you know, the RVs and capacity for service, as I mentioned, some have just been non-respondent. Um, we need to um, figure out how we're going to deal with those. And, you know, one of the efforts to, um, you know, follow up on going forward is to ensure um, the appropriate authority to actually decommission those toilets to make sure that they are not polluting the environment. Um, but, yeah, Greg may have some more to add. Yeah, one thing to add, Supervisor Lucan. Um, one thing to consider is that we have different, different types of RVs out there. You know, some uh, have started pump-out service. Uh, some don't have water now, so you're not going to have a lot of pump outs if they actually don't have water into the RV. So there's all, and some are going out of county, you know, for their services. So we can continue to identify what RVs are possible and can use it. And also, Dan mentioned also the RVs that can be repaired. We can also look at that too. So even though we have 57, there may be only a certain amount that could actually handle the service. So we're going to be reviewing that as we go. Sounds good. I, I think that's great. You know, there, there's the ones that, you know, can't handle the service. Let's do what we can to, to get them to handle the service. And then uh, I think individuals that just flat out res refuse the service, um, you know, there's some approaches that we can take that might be a little more on the enforcement side, um, especially since we're providing the service at, at no cost. I think that's one where we might, you know, maybe shouldn't be afraid of, of stepping up the enforcement to, to get some compliance and protect the, the natural resources and the environment in that area. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, appreciate um, the report and all the progress that is being made, and the and the creativity uh, also, and uh, these um, items that you're bringing today to us to to approve. I just I have a question uh, slash concern around um, just given the high number of folks who um, have been sort of as, have been assessed as eligible for permanent supportive qualifying for permanent supportive housing uh, through our coordinated entry process. And um, as you all well know, that that is a, that is a, a big list, um, including these folks um, as well. And so I'm just thinking about the timeline um, to getting these folks uh, on the path to housing and into housing, given that they may require, uh, likely require permanent supportive housing, which is supplied through the county. So um, I guess my, my question is, um, are, have there been targets sort of established for actually improving the health and economic uh, status, frankly, in, in terms of having folks getting signed up for whatever uh, support they may be qualified for, CalFresh, SDI, what have you, that they might not be now? I'm thinking of this coordinated entry population. Because it is going to be, it is going to take some time as this plan maps out to really move everyone into housing or into to the situation that they need, and I'm thinking that there's an opportunity to actually really improve the overall um, financial and, uh, and medical and physical and mental health of some of the individuals that are there. So I'm just I'm just curious as to sort of targets towards improving people's status as. Um, as, as things go along over time, and frankly, is there even an opportunity to, for some folks, 
um, conditions, um, economically and otherwise, to improve enough so that maybe they won't need full-on permanent supportive housing over time. Long-winded question, but I think you where I'm getting at. Thank you, Supervisor, for the question. And you know, although we use uh, uh, you know what folks are, are familiar with the housing first model in our county, I think the the caveat that we give to that all the time is that that does not mean housing only. Um, all that that model means is that you know there are just no conditions you know on someone before they're able to get successfully connected to housing. But I think what we often leave out of that equation and conversation is the tremendous amount of work that outreach workers and case managers do on a daily basis with folks um, across our county and specifically the ones that are dedicated to Binford. So those outreach workers, those case managers are working daily with folks on their medical and behavioral health needs, um, on ensuring they get transportation to critical appointments, helping them locate documentation that they may have lost um, that they need in the paperwork process um, for things like Section 8, helping them to get ready for those applications, um, connecting them with CalFresh and Medi-Cal um, and other temporary um, financial supports and services, uh, assisting them with their, their banking and their shopping and their spending and locating food and water and everything that it takes. Um, for day to day. So really those outreach workers uh, and case managers carry a tremendous amount of activity with the clients that are engaged with. And although 10 may have been housed, although 19 are on an identified housing pathway, these outreach workers and case managers are engaged with 101 individuals at Binford and their needs. And that's also the benefit of the service fair that is up there monthly. And I think the beauty um, of what's happened through that service is seeing folks connect directly with medical appointments through the street medicine van, get signed up um, for Medi-Cal and CalFresh right on the spot, um, be able to tell us that their cards have been misplaced and they need replacement ones um, so that we can get that out to them, um, but whatever it might take um, in their day-to-day -day lives uh, to help with any immediate needs. And so know that all of those things are happening every single day, not only with residents at Binford, but through everyone else that our many outreach workers and case managers have contact with across our county. And so I'm assuming that given um, what is happening there in Binford, especially that, I mean, my question is, can I assume, can we assume that actually folks will over time um, be in a much better state financially, health-wise, what have you, than they would have been without all this and therefore um, may be in need of less support in permanent supportive housing and or in a different state once, you know, as we move along over the next couple years. I just think it's really important because you know, you know, we depend on vouchers uh, and other funding uh, in order to establish permanent supportive housing and make it real for the long term. And those uh, vouchers, that flow of vouchers is not this big, wide, thick stream ongoing. We don't have a local source of vouchers. It's something we need to be talking about. But it is, it is a challenge. Permanent supportive housing and how much we're able to create is dependent on how many vouchers are available here. And in the meantime, we need to be helping as people as much as we can in the interim before housing becomes available. And frankly, I just would like to know that maybe we're, we're, we're using this time and these situations in order to potentially create situations in which some folks may not need ultimately permanent supportive housing. Thank you.
Uh, great. I want to add uh, my support for the vehicle buyback program. I certainly saw how this worked at Richardson Bay, uh, largely with the sailboats we had there, but it was or the motorboats. It was the same situation. I want to appreciate and acknowledge the comprehensive approach you've taken here again at Binford. Uh, I. I was able to tour with Supervisor Lucan, and my observation uh, a few weeks ago was that things were organized, and there was increasing safety out there. I'm glad that the speed reduction has occurred. Uh, the sanitation services and pump out and everything you're working on, I think, are really key. Uh, and I want to appreciate the sheriff's office, uh, our deputy, for his work out there. My experience in Richardson Bay is we've made slow and steady progress uh, in moving people off the water into housing. And that also, uh, you start to get to a point where you've got critical mass, where enough people are moving on with their lives, it encourages more people to do the same. So I think we'll see things pick up, um, notwithstanding the need for housing, but um, people start to sort it out and figure it out. So anyway, uh, thank you, uh, and I'd be uh, prepared to... Um, take a motion to approve the buyback program and then we'll go to public comment. Uh, I will move such action. Second. Motion and second. Is there any public comment in the chambers on this? Thank you. Um, you guys have mentioned uh, environmental health, and you've mentioned safe, sanitary housing. Um, I remind you, the community should be made aware that in 2011 or 12, environmental health made, made a decision to stop taking complaints from Golden Gate Village and Marin City. 296 units, all of a sudden, suddenly, were denied the, avail the availability to call the, a department in the county to work with them regarding unsanitary living conditions. Everywhere else in the county, you can call them. Golden Gate Village residents in Marin City, they can't. In the IJ, you all went to, and yourself, uh, Greg, and Sarah went to the IJ just in July and said, we're going to work with them. It's in, the, it's in the IJ. We're going to do better. In August, the IJ editorial said, it's a great thing they're working together. Yes, they're all working together. They're getting together to serve a population that's underserved. In a meeting a month ago, Greg was present face-to-face -face with me and many others. Sarah was on Zoom. They said, no, that's not true. We're not there yet. That's not true. You all did a PR stunt to make it seem like you're working with the residents of Minnesota. You're going to turn the tide. That was a lie, a stunt. You lied to the community. Racism. Why did you lie? Stephanie, this is your, your district. Greg, you quoted in the IJ of saying, we're going to do better. And then months later, face to face, you say it's not true. I remind you, this population in Marin City, Golden Gate Village, it used to be a higher number of African-American people, families. But, I'll finish in a second, but because Marin Housing has hidden black applicants 
it's it's on the record. Black applicants at Golden Gate Village throw in the garbage. Damien. It's less African American families in Golden Gate Village now. Thank you. Okay, but you need to answer to the people why did you guys put a false article in the IJ? Damien, we're at time. According to him, it's not true. I'm going Racism. online now. Thanks for your comments on Binford Road. Next, online, please. The first speaker is Johnson Reynolds. Please unmute. Yeah, Johnson Reynolds. I'm currently in Maui with my sister who has short-term uh, memory loss, but I'm a resident of uh, Marin County in the Canal. I'm part of the Marin Organizing Committee. I'm concerned with Marin uh, Environmental Housing too, has notified me that this is on the agenda today. I appreciate it that you're doing work to uh, to deal with people that are in Binford in vehicles and RVs and that kind of thing. It sounds like you're really moving forward on that. I really appreciate that there are caseworkers and counselors that are working with all the 101 uh, people there uh, to move them forward towards the possibility of permanent supportive housing. If that's possible, there's still lack of housing, even that there, there's the uh, home key uh, options, but other options where they have to have vouchers to get into those housing and doing what we can do to do that is what we need to do. But there's still gonna be a lot of people that continue to live in their vehicles or RVs and decide to, to do that. Uh, and, and, and providing sanitation services is really important for them as they still live there. So we need to accommodate, uh, if you have a, a buyback for the RVs, that's fine, uh, but they need to have other places they can go. If they're gonna get reimbursed for the buyback, they need, we need to have places for them to go immediately. And then uh, the people that are still in their vehicles need to have the sanitation services to sustain them as they live there. That's an option for people. So let's consider these people for really supporting the people that are homeless uh, to live productively and quality lives wherever they are, whether in permanent supportive housing and or their vehicles. So thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please unmute. I would like to know, after listening to your great presentation on the situation at Binford and all the, and all the efforts that, that all the, the county is um, uh, spending on them to take care of them, why, why is it that the, the Marin Human Rights Commission is not involved? Um, they, of all people, they have a, a former um, homeless person who ran for supervisor, uh, Jason Saras. What more of an expert can you possibly need to talk about the situation? I mean, the last meeting that they had for the Human Rights Commission, which was in September, since they uh, uh, canceled uh, October and November, and other, plus others, was talking about maybe putting up a uh, a porta party in uh, Fairfax. Uh, that was pretty much it. And they were uh, spinning their wheels talking about how much it's going to cost $700 for one porta party. Can we get more from the uh, from the county? In other words, that's pretty much it. And then uh, again, then you have an absence of two months 
two months. And just like, you know, the homeless people, they got nothing better to do. So they're just wait around for them to reconvene and see what they're going to do about it, whether they're going to uh, take it up again and see if they're going to uh, get a polar party, which is, I mean, how, how minimal can you possibly get? And then even like, say, in the previous month, they talked about uh, uh, putting up three refrigerators that, and they, they allocated $1,500 for that. But we're not talking about asking the public to participate and, and the legality, who's going to uh, provide the PG&E, who's going to provide the food, what, what location. So in other words, um, they just spend their wheels do and talk about it and then do nothing. And you don't want to count on them because you know they're not dependable. Okay, we're going to close public comment now and bring it back to the board. Eva, you didn't get to the podium. I was walking you were the way over the, no, I'm Had sorry. I'm closing public, I'm closing public comment. We had a motion no, by Rice, Stephanie, a second by Lucan. All in it's favor? Not appropriate for you to Aye, thank you. Comment. This matter has it passed. It is not appropriate for you to do that. Uh, it is appropriate no, for it me is to not do it. We're going to move on now to item number eight. We have to take this up because our speaker cannot be with us after noon hour, and then we'll take a break. No, we're 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 going to go out of order. We've got to get this done, and we've got to get to lunch, and then we got to come back, and we'll take seven uh, and nine. Uh, as soon as I can figure that out. Yep, it's on. Hi, Jillian. Good morning, board members. Um, we're here today to receive a presentation from Scott Johnson. Um, he's the executive director of the Napa Sonoma ADU Center. Um, and staff recommend that the Napa Sonoma ADU Center merge with Marin County and its participating cities and towns. Uh, the contract for the merger would initiate a three-year pilot program to support the development of accessory dwelling units, also known as ADUs, and implement housing element programs for Marin County and the participating cities and towns. We have a program in our housing element to foster the development of ADUs. Um, and I am going to pass it off to Scott to give a presentation about the services that would be provided for the merger and the successes of the Napa Sonoma ADU Center. Good morning. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, as she said, I'm the director of the Napa Sonoma ADU Center, and we're very excited to be able to present here today. I want to give a quick background of who we are and the services that we're providing to homeowners and jurisdictions across Napa and Sonoma um, and what we can offer for Marin. Um, the history of our organization started when the key, well, frankly, with the Tubbs fires in Sonoma County where we lost almost 6,000 homes, and the community foundations of Napa and Sonoma County looked for new ways to help rebuild and encourage uh, affordable housing across the two counties. After about two years' worth of work, they came up with the idea for the ADU Center because what we heard from a lot of homeowners and planners and architects was that building ADUs, while it was viable, it was very, very hard to get started. That was sometimes the hardest part of the whole project. Um, next slide, please. I can pull over, oh, there we go, okay. Uh, and then next slide after that, thank you. And so with all those uh, investigations and with our three years of experience now working in Napa Sonoma, we have keyed in onto uh, three primary pillars of our work. 
We provide free technical assistance to homeowners. Uh, we provide technical assistance to jurisdictions on the subject of ADUs. Um, and we provide what we call our standard plans program, which is similar to a uh, pre-approved plans program as tried in other parts of the state with some key differences that we think makes it more attractive and viable for both homeowners and jurisdictions alike. Um, next slide. Our primary tools for homeowners, um, there's, this is just a subset of the tools that we offer. Uh, we have a number of online tools, uh, calculators based on location, based on jurisdiction, type of ADU to help give people a sense of what their project is likely to cost. We have address lookup tools so they can learn what they can build and what's appropriate for their neighborhood and, and their jurisdiction. We have stories of successes and floor plans um, of ADUs that have been built across Napa and Sonoma. We have uh, 29 different webinars on all kinds of subjects about getting started with your ADU program from financing to individual webinars with jurisdictions, with their planning and building staff to help sort of humanize the process and give homeowners the confidence to move forward. And we have a, a, ven a vendor registry of folks that we know are licensed and insured and working in the ADU space across Napa and Sonoma. And that's one tool that we're hoping to grow. We get a lot of feedback from homeowners that they'd like to see more, more contractors and architects and engineers on that list. The last two are ones I want to dive into a little bit in more in depth because they're kind of the crown jewels of our program. We have our feasibility consultations. Uh, next slide, please. Actually, next two slides. Um, these are one-on-one -on -one conversations and uh, uh, reports with homeowners who want to build an ADU. They sign up via our website. Uh, we do some pre-research. They give us information about the project they want to build, the budget they're looking at, the reason they're doing it, the concerns they have. And then we research their property to make sure we understand the zoning and the ADU rules and you know if it's sloped or any of the other details of their actual site. And then we have a one-on-one -on -one conversation where we can answer their questions in real time. We can talk them through kind of the very early stages of the ADU process to give them a framework so that they can make a, an informed, intelligent decision about their project. Sometimes that means the project is not a good fit for them. Sometimes it needs to be downsized or they're looking at issues that they hadn't considered like septic or slope or you know things like that, fire, uh, potential for fire. So we talk them through all those pieces and then we give them a written report that typically runs about 25 to 30 pages that details their property, the rules in their jurisdiction, as well as next steps, potential budget, things to consider, best practices, so that when they're ready to move on a project, they have uh, a solid set of information that they can talk to their jurisdiction about the particular issues of their site. They can find their architect or their contractor or their builder and move forward quickly with moving to ADU. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with homeowners where they said, I've been thinking about this for five years or we want to do this forever, but now we're, you know, we're looking at trying to move forward, but we don't know where to begin. The consultations are designed to help them get moving on their project. Uh, next slide, or actually we'll slide after the next slide. There we go. Um, next slide. And then the next spotlight is our standard plans, which I, I mentioned briefly earlier. We looked at uh, jurisdiction-approved, jurisdiction-paid-for ADU plans that were in use around the state, San Jose, Los Angeles, Mendocino County, as well as other locations, where jurisdictions had paid often tens of thousands of dollars to uh, commission an architect to draw up ADU plans, two or three ADU plans, for use of homeowners in that jurisdiction. 
which is uh, a great idea. It lowers the barrier to entry at the beginning of a project where that's most important. The challenges, the failures that we saw in those kinds of programs was that they were not often used. They were not often, they did not turn into ADUs built on the ground. A number of reasons for this, some of them being that, you know, two or three designs is not a very diverse set. Uh, doesn't work in all locations, size and need is different. And so that limited, for tens of thousands of dollars, that limited spend to have two or three ADU designs does not turn into ADUs on the ground. So we took a hybrid approach where we asked architects to create designs for us. Uh, we have 50 plus designs on our current website. And then the jurisdictions can sign on and say, we want to pick those five or six or eight or 10. And we will review those plans for code compliance. And then when they come through our permit process, we're going to expedite them. We're going to reduce fees. So jurisdictions get what they want. ADUs on, built on the ground. Uh, architects get the ability to design once and sell multiple times across multiple jurisdictions. And homeowners, the best benefit is for them, they get a well-designed ADU. We have sizes that range from 150 square feet to 1,200 square feet um, in many different sizes and, and uh, many different styles. Actually, next slide, you can see it, uh, the webpage that we have that shows our, um, uh, our 50 plus plans. But they get to choose these, the right ADU for them and they pay a fraction of the cost that they would pay for a new clean sheet design with an architect. Um, the, it, it is up to the homeowner and the architect who designed the plans to coordinate and put together the what we call the localization documents, the site plan, the foundation plan, the things like that that would need to be for a full submittal. But even with that work to, to work for a particular property, the homeowner is going to pay about a third to uh, less than half the cost of starting from scratch. So. We see it as sort of a three-way win for the jurisdictions, for the homeowners, and for the architects. And it's been a successful program that we've used across the 16 jurisdictions in Napa and Sonoma, and we're looking forward to bringing to Marin. Um, two slides, please. So that's the gallery plan there. There's six of 50 uh, plus, and we've got more coming in. And then next slide, please. Um, and you know, I've been focusing on the homeowner benefits of our programs, but that is you know, only part of what we do. Um, the other part is that we work with jurisdictions. We, uh, we look to be a partner for jurisdictions to help them be effective and uh, look for opportunities where ADUs can be built. I assume the folks sitting up there are aware of most of the benefits of ADUs, um, but it can be hard to get them to actually be implemented. There are still a number of roadblocks and friction points along the way to get ADUs from idea to actual built environment. Um, and we work with the jurisdictions providing updates on ADU rules, both as the law changes, but as HCD provides guidance, we maintain a database of all the HCD's uh, uh, published guidance on ADU implementation. Uh, we are an on-call domain expert on ADUs and ADU resources, as well as feedback from homeowners in the jurisdiction. So if we hear of a particular issue of you know, a septic policy or a, a planning policy that is causing a lot of grief with homeowners to get their projects done, we can sit down with the jurisdiction and say, you know, just so you know, X, Y, Z, if you change this, you're really going to open the floodgates on some of these projects. Um, we also act as a front line for homeowners who have lots of questions. Homeowners are not developers, and we're asking them to be so when they go with an ADU. So they can be kind of a high-touch uh, requirement for planners and staff at the jurisdictions to answer a lot of uh, questions for someone who doesn't know anything about the planning process or the permitting process. We have taken all of that off of the jurisdictions in which we work and we are the first line. 
So if a homeowner comes to a jurisdiction, they can, the jurisdiction says talk to the ADU Center, and we provide them the frameworks, the education, answer the questions in real time for the homeowner so that when they go back to the jurisdiction, they're ready to ha have a serious discussion about their project. And then I guess the next slide, I think, is the last slide. Uh, by the numbers, um, this is what we've done over the past uh, three years. We've done over 500 consultations across two counties. We've had uh, 700 inquiries, phone calls, and emails that we've answered directly. We've done 29 webinars. We've got 50 plans in our standard plans program and more coming on online 20 in 2024. And of the homeowners who've gone through our consultation process, we keep in touch with them to hear how it's going. And we, of the 500 that we have completed, 73% are moving forward with their projects. And the flip side of that number is also important to me. 27%, once they got the information they needed, realized it wasn't a good fit for them without spending tens of thousands of dollars on architects and permits and everything else. So both sides of that number are important to us, that people are making the right choices for their individual needs. Um, thank you. Thank you, Scott, for the information. Question, uh, Supervisor Rodoni. Yeah, thank you, Scott, for the presentation. It's really exciting to see this come before us. My question is really back to staff. Um, I know we've been really busy with the housing element and doing all the other work, but we've had several start and stops of ADU programs and proposals. And I'm just wondering what sort of performance goals you might want to attach to this, make sure it is successful for us, or a report back period or something. Because by my calculation, we should be building two and a half to three ADUs a month to meet our housing element goals. And so I, I think while this is a great program and I'm willing to spend the money to do this, I think there should be some expectations coming out of this. So maybe you could just talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so we have goals in our housing element for ADU production and I would hope that we would stick to those goals and as part of our um, annual progress report updates, uh, we're happy to highlight the ADUs um, that are being developed and I can work with Scott on some goals for um, unincorporated Marin County for the three-year pilot program, but um, I think that we can come back to the board after two years just to get do a brief check-in, um, and then we'll come back after the three-year pilot program is over because we might tweak our, our contract just in terms of scope of services, maybe we need more, maybe there are specific things that um, we would like from the ADU Center. And I think I would like to have it more sooner, maybe once a year before to see how progress is made. Sure, yeah, that works. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I appreciate this and appreciate the program and um, think it's um, a good investment and uh, also the, uh, appreciate the partnership of MCF and the funds that are coming to help get it going. I have a, uh, though, I, I do I do think we it, I wanna have these report backs. I also notice in the, um, in the staff report, and you may have mentioned it, but I was reading and listening at the same time, uh, the forgivable loan program that Napa is doing with a five-year uh, deed restriction, as it were, I have different feelings about that, but um, I, it sounds like it may be something we'll be considering. But what I'm concerned about in, in these report backs is the degree to which uh, we have programs either that we're funding or partners are funding that are assisting folks in developing ADUs, which is great for checking off the housing element numbers box. But if they're not 
being leased out and if they're not if they're not being rented and used for housing and specifically if they aren't actually coming in as deed restricted or naturally more affordable housing i f um i feel like it's almost a gift of public funds at some level i don't want to be that harsh but um i've seen um i'm i'm seeing work happening out in the county and i'm not necessarily seeing adus being rented out or used um used for residential purposes and I'm concerned about folks taking advantage of that. So I want to see a report back, and I'd also like us to s see if there aren't some elements that we can build into our own programs that further incentivize and or provide some accountability to folks who are taking advantage of our programs in a positive sense. Thanks. Thanks, yeah, Supervisor Rice. Yeah, I, I do want to mention that all of the jurisdictions and staff here are really interested in the loan program. Um, We'll, we'll have to try to figure out source, et cetera. Um, but our goal, and I think all of the cities and towns as well, because some of them are more reliant on ADUs as part of their affordable housing, that we you know we want affordable housing to be built as part of it. Um, I don't know if, Scott, if you want to speak to just what you've seen in Napa Sonoma in terms of affordability, because he and I have had this conversation too. Built and used as residential housing stock. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is where Napa's loan program really comes into play uh, because they they have a, a lease-up requirement. So if these funds are used to build ADUs, in order for it to be a part of the forgivable loan, that has to be leased at the affordable rates. Um, and what we see uh, in, in other areas and studies I've done around the state uh, for ADUs that have been in uh, been developed for some time, several years, that uh, they tend to be, uh, and I say tend to be, 93% of them are rented at uh, generally low and very low rates compared to the surrounding uh, surrounding jurisdiction. And so as ADUs are built and become part of the built environment, the longer that they're in service, the, tend is that, the trend is that they tend to be more affordable over time as well. So there is a challenge of, of getting them built because it is a high cost with construction and everything else. But once they're there, they are sort of affordable by design based on their size, based on the amenities that they typically have. We generally see very good outcomes with affordability over time. Okay, that's exactly the data I'd like to hear is that, you know, how, how is it being used? Is it being used? And, and if it's 93% getting rented out, that would be wonderful. Thanks. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, real quick, I, I think this is really exciting. Uh, thank you for the openness here, the, the, the renaming, the rebranding to just the ADU Center to incorporate um, Marin. Uh, I really wish some, I, I've, I've been through the process on an ADU. I wish something like this had been around uh, when I went through mine. It probably would have saved me uh, some money and probably a lot of headaches, um, but I'm glad that, w that we're here at this point. Um, with regards to working with local jurisdictions uh, and helping them ease some of their things, I, I think our cities and towns in Marin are in pretty good shape. What successes have you had with special districts in Napa and Sonoma? Because uh, I think there's still some friction uh, here locally with regards to that. Yeah, and unincorporated areas are particularly tricky, um, and mainly because you have a well and septic issue in most areas. Um, and working with those departments and working with the planning and building in those areas to, to come up with sort of an, an ADU game plan when you have ADU projects come across their desks, because there are, ADU development is, is different in that homeowners are not developers, they don't understand the process generally. Um, and it's easier for them to not build than, than move forward. There isn't often a financial motivation for people to build an ADU. So by working with jurisdictions that we have in, in Napa and Sonoma, particularly in the unincorporated areas, and finding 
pathways to to reduce resistance to getting permits or even just the uncertainty of you know is a septic thing going to be an issue on this property we found that that has played out well for seeing ADs actually be be put on the ground yeah no, I appreciate it yeah some of this is with regards to connection fees for water districts and change districts I'll follow a few of this separately but I'm, yeah. I'm glad that uh, uh, we're going to be mo moving forward with this thank you Great, and I, I just have one, this seems like a great uh, thing to do and take advantage of what the other counties have done. Uh, Jillian, on the other side of the house, do we expect this will take some workload off of our current planners? Yes, um, and myself. So even though I'm not in current planning, I, I receive ADU questions at least once a week, asking things like setback and septic requirement, et cetera. So yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a huge, burden I think lifted for our current planning department but also it's great for the cities and towns because they have less staff and they are also receiving a similar volume of ADU questions but yes we'll be linking the ADU center um, and also once we launch our merger we're going to have webinars that you know advertise the services of the ADU center so we're hoping that um, homeowners will go to the ADU Center directly, but if they don't, then our current planning division will tell them to start with the ADU Center. Yeah. Have a link on our new web page and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Great. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Uh, well, with that, I am going to open for public comment in the chambers. It looks like there is no one left in the chambers to do comment. Is there anyone online? Yes. Johnson Reynolds, please unmute. Yes, thank you. This this is going to be very helpful, not only to the county, but the, the jurisdictions within the county, and uh, take the uh, work off of the local uh, staff. Uh, I, I assume this includes JADUs as well as ADUs. I, I am making assumptions that, and, and uh, Kate mentioned, you know, that they make sure that these uh, are actually uh, uh, given out to people that uh, need low and very low uh, money to, to, uh, to live in these ADUs and uh, JADUs. I, I appreciate that. Sounds like it's a good uh, uh, relationship for uh, both the jurisdictions and the county itself uh, to proceed and uh, move forward to produce the JADUs and ADUs. Thank you. The next speaker is Rodrigo Izquierdo. Please Hi. I would like to know uh, why um, Napa Sonoma was picked to guide uh, Marin into the um, uh, use of ADUs. Why wasn't uh, San Francisco used? Uh, because they kind of seemed like they have the same, uh, more of the similar problem and that is parking where they might they might have to relax the parking one space per unit so uh on a general terms um is the county of marin relaxing the um, uh the parking for uh, an additional unit in which case it might be two cars so uh, it seems like uh, on a general uh, statement you should say uh, that you're, you are going to uh, relax quite a few of the rules for Marin because Sonoma, Napa and Sonoma 
uh, they might simply have more space to to accommodate a whole bunch of cars, trailers, you know, RVs. Uh, it's not the same thing for for Marin that has winding roads like you know for Mill Valley that it's, uh, it's like impossible to have uh, other cars. They could hardly ma manage right now with the cars that they have uh, when they one of them has to back up. Uh, to clear the way or the or fire engines. And all of a sudden you're gonna have ADUs with an additional car or an additional two cars, possibly straddling the, the road. It seems like you should make a general statement on the parking uh, use of, of that aspect. Thank you. Person Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. All right, we'll bring it back to the board now. We have three recommended actions. And I would entertain a motion for those three and uh, with a request that we return in one year for an update on the program. I will move the three actions associated with item eight. Second. Okay, motion by Rice, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Righty, thank you very much. Let's get started. <laughs> County Administrator, what's your suggestion for so the So I'm going to suggest, as you know, we're behind schedule. So I was going to suggest that we break for 45 minutes, so come back at 1.15, where we'll take the remainder of the morning agenda, which is items 7, 9, and 10, and then roll into our afternoon session. And then I did want to remind folks that um, the Housing Authority does not start at 2 o'clock because we removed that item from the agenda, so it starts at 2.30. Right, thank you. We are adjourned for lunch.